Luxury is meant to be livable. Discover the new leather collection at Ashley with premium quality leather sofas, recliners, and more, all built to last. No matter how many spills, scuffs, or pet-related mishaps come its way, the leather collection at Ashley is made with the durability you need for the whole family. Shop the new leather collection at Ashley and find chairs starting at $499.99 and sofas for $599.99. Ashley, for the love of home. Helix mattresses have been recommended by multiple leading chiropractors and doctors of sleep medicine as a go-to solution for improving your sleep. Everybody is unique and everyone sleeps differently. That's why Helix has several different mattress models to choose from, each designed for specific sleep positions and feel preferences. So how will you know which Helix mattress works best for you and your body? You can take the Helix sleep quiz and find your perfect mattress in under two minutes. And your personalized mattress is shipped straight to your door free of charge. Helix knows there's no better way to test out a new mattress than by sleeping on it in your own home. That's why they offer a 100-night trial and a 10-15 to year warranty to try out your new Helix mattress. Helix is offering 20% off all mattress orders and two free pillows for our listeners. Go to helixsleep.com slash drink. That's helixsleep.com slash drink. This is their best offer yet, and it won't last long. With Helix, better sleep starts now. I don't know this. Okay. I don't know the song. Teach, I, teach been... me. Teach me. Da who do raise fa fa who for welcome Christmas Christmas Day. I have. I'm the most tone. I mean, you all know this because I, as Em said earlier, Christine, I keep asking you to not sing. Well, I just keep I, saying like in our relationship, I think you've really met your quota when it comes to how many songs I want to hear from you. But you yeah, keep finding think- ways to exceed it. Yeah, our listeners feel exactly the same way. And I just, as you said, I shorn. I, I shan't and I shorn. That's stop. exactly right. Well, for those of you who don't uh, recognize, if you're watching YouTube, you might notice that we're dressed in the same clothes as our last uh-huh. video. And it's because right. we are recording these back to back. So oh. you <laughs> haven't showered. <laughs> Everyone else has had a week to uh, really process what Christine singing sounds like. I have had yeah. five minutes. Um, so <laughs> if welcome. you didn't listen to our holiday episode, you really missed out on a doozy. You really did. It was, I would say, easily one of my top five favorite episodes. That was one of my favorite stories you've ever covered, which was like not shocking because no one actually died in it, which is great. Yeah, it was. And but there was, was a dog that ended up just being a happy, non, non-abused dog. But, but. If, if, if there's one thing that I love about you and our friendship is like your wildly uh, – nervingly unnervingly creative mind oh and so that's the nicest thing anyone's ever said to me and well so i it, it was very nice to see it in in action there because you got to be creative with your story this time well so. it's frightening that you and i have somehow the universe has allowed us to be in one project together aka this podcast because like after the escape room i think everyone is fully aware of how unnerving <laughs> your mind and creativity are and so if mine are the similar status or at least in your mind then we must be a tornado of chaos that's that was poetry right there yeah you know we have said i remember last time we had a sleepover i was like can you imagine if we were enemies like we would be <gasps> we would be our perfect rivals like we, we would, would like destroy each other and ourselves we in the would process. royally fuck each other up but like in like the most creative sinister in, ways like, a fun way <laughs> like thank god the world decided to put us on the same side because we would be like mortal yin yang perfect perfect yeah. enemies 
Yeah. And I think honestly, like we've had this conversation and we've talked to people who are like psychic mediums who are like, oh, you've lived multiple lives together. And we're like, yeah, we know. Uh, I was like, don't worry. This is not a a new occurrence. We (laughs) I've been dealing with this bullshit for millennia. Don't worry about it. (laughs) I feel it all the way to my very fucking core that I cannot. My soul can't escape. (laughs) I could literally drop dead on this in this life and she'll just be there tomorrow when I open my eyes in a brand one, a brand new one. Oh my God. It's true. Anyway, welcome to 2021, everyone. Aren't you oh happy my to gosh. be rigging in the new year with <sighs> us? A I... year that we refuse to make predictions about because last year it didn't go so well. I predict, I would, I'll predict one thing this year and it's that I'm going to eat a lot of really delicious sandwiches. Um, well, let's hope you don't fuck that up too. God, please don't let me like all of a sudden like have like a gluten intolerance or There's something. like a bread shortage. Yeah. You, oh know, you never know what you could do with that. Those words. I have no idea how damaging one sentence could be manifesting. Yeah, That's powerful. actually terrifying. I, I would like to eat a lot of sandwiches this year. That's really my my only takeaway. Yeah. Why don't we my... just vision board stuff and like let the universe do what, what it will, you know, yeah. rather than. I'd like the podcast to go well and I would like to uh, eat a lot of sandwiches. That's pretty much it. Okay. I, I think I might actually put the, both of those exact things on my vision board and leave it at that. Perfect. Um, oh, I wanted to tell you since I didn't get to mention it. So we're recording this like before Christmas, um, shortly before Christmas. So M asked earlier, how's Gio doing? And I was like, oh, my gosh, I'm going to tell <gasps> oh, yeah. you on the show. He's at doggy daycare today Ooh. because we're recording. And uh, I was able to take him out of the premises for once. <laughs> uh, and I, they were like, would you like to sign Gio up for pictures with Santa? And I about fell out of my what fainting couch. What evil evil wench would say no to that can you imagine can you imagine and i was, was like, like mm, i don't i don't participate in that no i don't and i, I, I truly i was like wait what and they're like here's a sign-up sheet and i oh my god i put him on that little sign-up sheet and they did a secret santa like a <gasps> santa pause a secret santa pause oh. and we had to buy a toy and put like what size range the the dog that it goes to and then write like love geo and then he's gonna get a toy it's like the cutest thing ever and every day they post photos i mean i'm like i'm just enamored with this place my heart is like dripping into my stomach because it's so melty <laughs> like i i mean really what we were just saying about how powerful our collective mind is can you imagine if we ran like a dog service oh, god. The, oh, god the shit that would come out of us every holiday would be noodles fucking noodles noodles all linguine all the way to the (laughs) The, top the the linguine the fettuccine you know all of it (laughs) the bow tie um (laughs) only on classy affairs doesn't have quite the same ring (laughs) um but yeah so hopefully by the time this episode comes out i'll have a copy that i can put in the youtube video i hope i hope it works out i mean i this is my first year there obviously but I think Gio knew because on the way he was like shaking with nervousness. And I was like, maybe he knows that I've done something terrible to him and made him like approach a stranger. I was going to say, maybe he's so excited, but you're right. He probably knows you well enough to be like knowing Gio, you fucking stirred something up that now I have to, I have to get through this. It's true. He's like, I'm just as antisocial as you, mom. And yet somehow you force me into these scenarios Especially where I have to. during quarantine when like he has seen very minimal people and now a big burly red suited person <laughs> is going to be like, sit on my lap. <laughs> oh my God. But I've seen some of the other dogs who signed up earlier and it is the cutest freaking thing. So I will hopefully post that somewhere on social media and uh, we can post in the video. You know what I would like to do next year if this is at all possible and like we just happen to be in Cincinnati near december at all or cincinnati yes. or you're, you're where wherever the hell you live anymore uh 
I think it would be precious at some point. And if it doesn't happen near December, we can, we can, you know, chop it to be a, a different situation. I would like to be dressed as Santa in your home and then take okay, off the Santa I, Claus I, and surprise Gio. I was like, where are we going with this? Okay, got it. Got I, it. I think it would sense. be precious if like Gio, we took a picture and then like you got like a live reaction of him realizing it was me because we hadn't seen each other in so long. Right. I mean, I think since he's a dog, he'll probably smell that it's you, but we can I'll pretend. roll around in some dirt or something. It'll be, oh, he'll he, love he you even more. He won't even notice. Um, I will say too, I, just like on that note, a lot of people are very baffled and like uh, understandably, because I don't think I ever explained this properly. And I think people are very, some people are concerned because now they think I've moved again to another place. Like, everyone's oh. just very concerned. Oh, because uh, I keep fucking up the city that you're in. Is that why? No, cause, well, no, no, no. Because, like, I said, oh, by the way, I'm in Kentucky. And, like, I guess I never clarified that. And so now people – and so if, every time I tag it on social media, people are like, you've moved again? Like, why do you keep moving? Okay. I, I only moved once. But as, as someone who doesn't know geography myself, I shouldn't have assumed everybody knows this. But Cincinnati is like right on the border of both Indiana and Kentucky. So I'm about 10 minutes away from downtown Cincinnati, but on the Kentucky side. So I'm technically in northern Kentucky, like on the river. But like I can like it's like literally you can walk across the bridge to Cincinnati. So I'm closer to Cincinnati than I lived even when I grew up here. But technically my state of residence is Kentucky. So to clarify for anybody who's worried that I'm like just upsetting all over the fucking place, livelihoods all over the place. Well, I'm, I'm still in the same place. And if you are like, you know, you were listening forever ago and now you're listening to like this random brand new episode. Yeah. Christine did leave, but we also, nothing has, <laughs> nothing like, has changed. Yeah. Nothing's cha- clearly as the amount I sing has just increased. <laughs> well, that's also, that was one of the reasons why we waited until after a few months of you getting settled in because nobody really seemed to notice that anything changed. No, and, I know. And the point was so like, if we announced at the time that you were moving, we were afraid people would think, oh, now the dynamic is going to change. We but were we, worried people would read into things. Yeah, but we wanted to beat you to the punch and be like, you had no idea. She moved forever ago and nothing has changed. So and you don't have to worry. And the coolest part, I think, one of the coolest parts is that um, I was on Instagram like the month I moved here last spring and uh, suddenly Kenyon from Wine and Crime posted like, yeah. In our new home, and she lived in South uh, Africa, and all of a sudden she's like, in our new home, home, and it was like Louisville, Kentucky, and I went, wait, what? And <laughs> I literally moved that week to Kentucky, and I was like, wait, so I moved from Los Angeles, she moved from South Africa, and we both ended up in Kentucky? I feel like if quarantine weren't a thing, the two of you would have a like a, a, a set, like, weekly coffee arrangement. I know. A wine arrangement, oh, but yeah, okay. close enough. Well, let's be but fair. so yeah. I was just like this, and she was like, "Oh my, we almost we tried to make plans because the IKEA is up here." And so she's like, "Well, Zach and I want to go to the IKEA, so like when we come up, we'll like meet up." But obviously, then quarantine got you know thing messed up. But that would be precious. Um, so if you had like a standing uh, uh, weekly rendezvous together listen i don't know how she feels but i certainly plan on it so uh (laughs) but i was just like so excited and surprised because i'm like i felt very isolated out here and now i have like a neighbor and that's it's literally like an hour and 20 minutes for me like it's not far so i was just like especially now this is the weirdest maybe to other people that's far but like let's remember like you have been perfectly primed as an la driver yeah yeah it's not far an hour drive is just like what you do like M would drive an hour to my house to record exactly it would just be like me driving over to your place to like to have dinner so yeah yeah exactly or to like you know borrow 500 bucks or whatever that that one occurrence where you appear to my door i'm glad you mentioned that because ever 
every single time that that memory comes to mind, I'm like, I don't have a better friend because I really, uh, I don't I'm know about that. Straight I just up, sang at you. I straight up showed up uninvited to your home while you had other people over. And I said, I need $500 in cash immediately. And you just fucking gave it to me. Well, I wasn't gonna be like, no. I mean, that's, that's a homie where like, no questions asked. Clearly you're asking for a reason. I mean, you are fortunate in the fact that I s- somehow had $500 at this point in my life. If you had asked me a year before, you and I both would have been like, well, n- neither of us have a dollar. So. I'd be like, I can offer you one penny and you can find the rest on your own. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> Which is precisely how the podcast started, by the way. We put it, our entire $200 savings into this show. So. 250 We each had, I had 250 The day after we bought our equipment and I gave you $250, I literally had uh, 18 bucks to my name. Yep. <laughs> so. Yep. And I remember ordering, ordering food and being like, I have to order a small pizza because I cannot afford a medium. And that's the end of and the story. And not like I can't afford it because I'm trying to budget things out. It's like, no, I can't. I do not have Literally, the funds. <laughs> it will bounce. Yeah. So anyway, sorry, that went way on a tangent. But point being, uh, to clarify, Gio is currently with Santa Claus. Oh, right. Being yeah. traumatized. <laughs> my child, as you can imagine, I'm traumatizing him. And uh, I'm in K- snowy Kentucky where it's snowing. And I'm wearing it's a sweatshirt. I'm wearing a sweatshirt in LA right now, and uh, that was bold of me because it's a little too warm today. So that's where we stand. <laughs> um, but <laughs> I do has changed. I do think that we should uh, find a way. When I do, when I am reunited with Gia, we should do it in a very cute, obviously filmed way. Oh, obvi- we should probably hire an entire <gasps> TV crew. Am Eva, I right? Get on it, Eva. Okay, Eva, you're a TV crew now. <laughs> <laughs> Welcome, Eva. You uh, produce everything, actually. Also, you have to dress as an elf so that everyone's in on it. Oh, you know, Eva. Actually, that's wait a minute. She Eva? would be like a cute elf, though. Right? She'd be a precious elf. Actually, that feels like the exact mythical creature she could be. Of yeah. all of them, maybe she is like a little fairy elf or something. You know, Eva, are you an elf? Eva, okay, step one, get a polygraph, and then we're going to test to see if you're an elf. Step two, um, get an elf outfit. Step three, produce our, the rest of our lives on camera. And also, step four, let me play with the polygraph, because I've always wanted to play with one. And then step five, please never, ever, ever leave us, because I, I, I won't know where to return the polygraph machine, oh, yes. so you're going to have to do that also. Sorry we just called you an elf. Please don't leave me. <sighs> yeah. And That's Why We Drink is sponsored by Squarespace. Squarespace is the all-in-one website platform for entrepreneurs to stand out and succeed online. With Squarespace, it's easy to create a beautiful website all on your terms. You don't want to miss Fluid Engine, a next-generation website design system from Squarespace with reimagined drag-and-drop technology for desktop or mobile. I don't know this for a fact, but it's my opinion that there is no easier way to build a website than Squarespace because of this drag-and-drop technology. It gets better every year, and it is just, you when you think it can't get any better and easier, it does. I've been using Squarespace <laughs> since 2017. Um, And in that time, they have just proven themselves to be the best and easiest way to make a website. So anytime I make a website for any reason, that's where I go. When you're ready to get started, you can use one of Squarespace's professional website templates with designs for every category, and then you can customize it. You can customize the look, add new content, add features to fit your unique needs. It's just a great spot to have a landing page for you, for your business, for whatever it is you're trying to market or showcase. Squarespace is the best platform to use, in my opinion. Head to squarespace.com for a free trial. And when you're ready to launch, go to squarespace.com slash drink to save 10% off your first purchase of a website or domain. 
Did you know Fast Growing Trees is the biggest online nursery in the U.S. with more than 10,000 different kinds of plants and over 2 million happy customers in the U.S.? You can grow lemon, avocado, olive, or fig trees inside your home on top of the wide variety of houseplants available. Fast Growing Trees makes it easy to order online and your plants are shipped directly to your door in one to two days. And along with their 30-day Alive and Thrive guarantee, they offer free plant consultation forever. I am so thrilled that we are working with Fast Growing Trees. I spent about an hour and a half on the website trying to decide what I would love to order from their products. They have so many options and you can actually filter it by zones, by growing zones to make sure you know it'll work in your garden. Um, they have everything from massive privacy shrubs and trees to very, very specific flowers. I actually ended up ordering a lilac shrub for my garden. I recently discovered how much I love the smell of lilac and so I thought, you know what? Perfect chance. Why don't I get some lilac growing in my yard? I think it's going to smell beautiful. And I also got my mom a little lavender plant as an Easter present. Right now, they have some of the best deals online, like up to half off on select plants. And listeners to our show get an additional 15% off their first purchase when using the code DRINK at checkout. That's an additional 15% off at fastgrowingtrees.com using the code DRINK at checkout. Fastgrowingtrees.com, code DRINK. Offer is valid for a limited time. Terms and conditions may apply. You know when you've got the holidays, the new year, and then all of a sudden it's sort of back to the grind, especially if you run a small business, it can be really hard to get back into the swing of things. But Stamps.com is here to make that a little bit easier for you. Stamps.com streamlines all your mailing and shipping to turbocharge your operational efficiencies. For 25 years now, Stamps.com has been indispensable for over 1 million businesses, whether they're mailing out checks, invoices, legal documents, books, podcast branded koozies, maybe that's just us, or anything else. Get access to to the USPS and UPS mailing services you need to run your business right from your computer anytime, day or night. No lines, no traffic, no waiting. And with rates you can't find anywhere else, like up to, get this, 89% off USPS and UPS, how could you go wrong? We have loved Stamps.com for years, not quite 25, but since we started the podcast, which was 2017, and we could not get by without it. I remember there were days where we didn't have Stamps.com, those I call the dark ages, and I was hand shipping everything and driving it on my lunch break to the post office. It was all very hectic. Stamps.com, I do it straight from my house, and it makes my life a trillion times easier. Keep your mailing and shipping moving at the speed of your business with Stamps.com. Sign up with promo code DRINK for a special offer that includes a four-week trial, plus free postage and a free digital scale. No long-term commitments or contracts. Just go to stamps.com, click the microphone at the top of the page, and enter code DRINK. Daylight saving time is starting up again. It may feel like there are more hours in the day, but if you're hiring, it doesn't necessarily help you find qualified candidates any sooner. There's only one way to do that, ZipRecruiter. Right now, you can try it for free at ziprecruiter.com drink. ZipRecruiter works around the clock to find qualified candidates for you. Once you post your job on ZipRecruiter, they send it to 100-plus job sites so you reach more of the right people. ZipRecruiter's smart technology also quickly scans thousands of resumes to identify people whose skills and experience match your job. Spring forward with a new hiring partner, ZipRecruiter, and find top talent sooner. See why 4 out of 5 employers who post on ZipRecruiter get a quality candidate within the first day. Just go to this exclusive web address to try ZipRecruiter for free. ZipRecruiter.com slash drink. Once again, that's ZipRecruiter.com slash drink. ZipRecruiter, the smartest way to hire. Okay, let's start the show. <laughs> okay, let's start over. Actually, editor, take every single thing out. Welcome to <laughs> And That's Why We Drink. Um, Where we only stay on topic. 
<laughs> where we only uh, talk about everything except our stories, actually. <laughs> um, okay, so let's let's get into this. I wanted to do another wintery esque. I don't know if this is a wintery thing. I wanted to do another um, uh, cryptid of sorts. I did the Yeti last week because it was the closest one to Christmas, and I was like, okay, let's do something wintry because I can't snowy. I don't yeah. have too many Christmas stories I get to cover. Um, and so I wanted to do the Yeti for some reason was like my version of like a Christmas episode, even though it wasn't very Christmassy. I think it fits. Well, I wanted to, uh, I'm very late to the game now. I'm literally like three weeks behind, but I was like, I should also throw in like for other holidays, like a, like a Hanukkah one or something. So <laughs> welcome January, 2021. Now I'm going to cover Hanukkah. Um, this it's is just a very, very early Hanukkah story. <laughs> look, you you can you're Jewish all year long, so really this can be special for you anytime. Okay, still seeking mensch on a bench, still still <laughs> looking for my mensch, if you know what I mean. <laughs> um, so this is the, the I try basically I was trying to come up with something for like people outside of like celebrating Christmas um, because I used my Christmas episode on I don't know it felt Christmassy, so I'm trying to do something other than that so spread the cheer i got it spread the cheer uh and the new year so this so what is, are you covering i can't figure it out the, this is the golem gold golem <gasps> oh okay have you heard of the golem i feel like i've heard of it but i don't really know i mean i the golem really, that- the golem's really made his way through uh pop culture l-o-t-r mm, what is that lord of the rings lord of the rings golem is different than golem it's not like based on it oh okay i maybe um i would say in a very loose way i would say um oh okay then i probably don't know much i would say golem he's known to be a protector so if golem was supposed to like protect the ring i I could we could put that together that is i think that is i thought he was based on like a character like a mythical well Listen. apparently we're not going to talk about it today except in this what do moment. i know i don't trust me on any of this especially I, pop culture there's definitely a similarity between Gollum and the golem so okay um also really hope i'm saying it right i checked google and typed in golem pronunciation and this I think is what that's i got right that feels right um, again don't trust anything i say but i think that's right don't trust anything i say and i'm only like 50 percent of the uh the information over here on this <laughs> podcast so okay the golem so very similar in a way to Frankenstein because they are both um, they were because they were life created by a man made created. Um, oh, so there okay. are some similarities that you'll hear throughout this that have to do with Frankenstein. Um, but uh, so the golem is a clay, a creature made of clay um, and uh, that has been magically brought to life. And the term golem is Hebrew for basically uh, incomplete or unfinished. Um, and the golem is said to appear, or at least the phrase or the term is said to appear at least once in the Bible in Psalms 139, 16. Uh, and again, meaning like unfinished substance or shapeless mass. Um, but so let's do some history. So this is not the first mention of the golem. This is just one of the most popular stories of the golem. So it's not totally chronologically correct today. I'm just going with like, if this were like a shopping site, I'm not going from oldest to newest. I'm going for to like bestseller, you know, <laughs> featured. Yeah. Got it. <laughs> a trending, if you will. So, um, 
So this is one of the main stories. This is from the 16th century, and this is the Golem of Prague, arguably one of the most popular stories of the Ooh, Golem. okay. So uh, in Prague at this time, the Jewish people were uh, having a, a good moment, finally, because in history, they really just can't catch a fucking break. <laughs> yeah, um, yeah. So they say that. They're enjoying a, a golden age of security. And uh, however... Record but. scratch. <laughs> Record scratch. Oh, no. The Jews had a, a pretty tough time all of a sudden. So there are uh, rumors are starting to spread that the Jews of Prague were performing blood libel, which do you know what that is? No. I did not either until. So you are not alone. Blood libel, apparently, um, and these were rumors. This is not what was happening, but they were being accused of this. Got it. Uh, you basically using the blood of Christian children in their rituals. And so basically, oh my god! They okay. were told basically now all the Christians were saying, "Oh, they're killing us! They're killing our children, and they're using oh, their blood in like Jewish, which apparently means satanic rituals." Um, yeah, so it's like satanic panic, but like, but the Jewish version, and like probably worse. Got it? Okay. Yeah, uh, and Yikes. so. <laughs> satanic panic i just thought of like satanic panic and then i thought but with like dreidels i was trying to think of like jewish things and then i thought of satan with a dreidel it got really weird in my head artistically but now i want it as a poster of like no no no. like let's get a whiteboard in and just like you let's can just sketch it out do a real pictionary situation here where we've got like you know everyone well, except like the christian children apparently yeah well we have the time to brainstorm for hours and hours and we've hours we've got nothing no but listening. time on this podcast you 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 <laughs> refer to episode 202 where it was four Eva's like, hours please, long please stop just go <laughs> uh okay so yeah so rumors are not look it's not a cute look for the for the jews right now sure. um and so obviously they are terrified of violence ensuing or riots or some sort of like jewish massacre um and so needing a symbol of hope, the Jewish people, there is one rabbi named Rabbi Lowe who decided that he was going to help his community come up with this symbol of hope. So Rabbi Lowe uh, wanted to protect the local Jewish people from, like I said, attacks on them. And uh, this is kind of uh, going off of, I guess, uh, this is a, I don't know if it's artistic license or it's, it becomes a little magical, just so we're clear. So I'm not going to base this entirely on, in fact, um, this is just the story that has uh, been passed on. Okay. So uh, the rabbi or rabbis in general are seen as, you know, nearly godlike. So uh, they were able, they had this power, the superpower of sorts where they could control the elements. Mm. And uh, so this one rabbi, Rabbi Lowe, he brought two other rabbis with him down to the river, and three of them rep- uh, the three of them represented three of the four elements. So they represented water, air, and fire. Um, and then for earth, they started taking clay, like um, kind of like wet ground from the, by the river, and the three of them started molding this man-made creature out of the clay. So all four of them together made the elements. Okay. Um, and so they. Basically, they molded this clay thing into a human shape, and then they performed this ritual. And this is uh, basically, this is a quote from, uh, I think, the book itself that uh, tells the story. 
Lo takes two of his pupils down to the river where there is a lot of mud. He shapes figures out of the mud and encourages them to do the same. This is a ritual found in earlier sources. He and his pupils walk around and around the rudimentary form of the golem. And then it happened. A golem appears from the earth and turns reddish. Mm -hmm. Light appears around him. He rises even higher and goes redder still. Then begins, he then begins to breathe. It's not like God. Breath isn't blown into him. Instead, he sits up and then stands. He is very big, and they already figured he would be naked, so they brought clothing for him. I like, <laughs> oh, how, nice. they, I like how they figured he'd be naked, even though they literally made him naked with their hands. They couldn't like just like <laughs> with an extra layer throw like a flannel on him or something. Like a clay poncho, yeah. Uh, and f- let's see. They give him a name, um, so he's not actually called Golem. They called him Joseph or Yosef. Um, and uh, they take him along and tell him what he needs to do. And he basically, he's just supposed to sit there well-behaved uh, in the synagogue. And when they need him for protection, they will call him. So, like... Well, that's a good gig. Okay. Yeah. So, they were like, you're just going to be here for protection if something were to happen to the local Jewish people. Um, until then, just, like, sit pretty. It's like J Chill, you know. Just NMJCU, you know? <laughs> uh, so the golem is now alive. Apparently the golem had superhuman strength. Also, some sources said that it had the invisibility had the power of invisibility, um, if it wanted to do that. Okay. Um, the golem looked out for people, once even rescued a girl from being kidnapped by people. And uh so he was just kind of like almost a, like a little Jewish superhero. Love um, it. I do too. Um, and so, so there are a few ways to bring a golem to life according to like, uh, I guess Jewish traditions. The one that the rabbi did, however, was he put a shem, which is like a clay tablet. Um, he wrote, uh, God's name. Or wait, hang on. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Okay, right, so it's a clay tablet bearing the name of God. Sure. So he put that shem under the tongue of the golem. So basically like wrote, God's name, put it under his tongue, and that was kind of what activated the golem. And when uh-huh. he would take the Shem out, uh, he would just kind of like turn to stone and not do anything. It was like he was just like... It's like his power switch. Exactly. Yeah. Okay. So either he was alive or he was like a, just a stone creature. Got it. Um, and the way that the rabbi th- in this story did, he would put the Shem either in its mouth or not. Um, the golem, I was going to mention this later, but this just seems like an appropriate time to say it. The golem is also mentioned in a lot of, um, pop culture, which I'll get to, but one of them is the Simpsons. And there's like a whole episode where they have, they find the golem and they communicate to it by like leaving notes under its tongue. Oh, and then, um, or like they're able to like control it by saying like, wake up or meet me at midnight and like, oh, I haven't seen that and putting the note under it. And then Marge and Lisa like make out of Play-Doh, a female golem's for it to have a girlfriend. <laughs> so <laughs> Okay, that sounds pretty uh, on point, yeah. Uh, so just so you know, that's like one place people have probably seen the golem before. Um, so yeah, so the rabbi would put a shem under its mouth and that's how it would light it up. <laughs> I guess like a, like a Christmas tree. Um, other <laughs> ways to bring it to life are to recite the proper letters of God's name, uh, putting God's name on their forehead, um, or writing E-M-E-T, so Emmet sort of, Um, Mm -hmm. on its forehead or its body in some way, kind of like either chiseling it in or, um, but the words, there are the letters E-M-E-T, which I'm going to get to that a little bit later, but it basically, it spells the word truth and it's Hebrew for truth. Um, And so 
the, that story basically ends where the golem saved the day. Um, but he apparently got too powerful or was, uh, because he was so successful, the rabbi decided to keep him for too long. And there's, uh, a, a concept where the longer the golem is alive, uh, the more powerful or the more dangerous it becomes. Um, either be, and it doesn't, it's not like because it like slowly like builds strength or anything, but it's kind of the Frankenstein mentality of it starts developing like human tendencies and uh. it, it strays from being strictly obedient for what its purpose is. So it's, like every human's fear about like AI and kind of, yeah. Stuff. Like it right. just, uh, starts thinking for itself. And if it doesn't want to obey you, maybe it won't. So Ooh, goose cam they, uh, so it's, he found that out the hard way. And basically, uh, he, this uh, golem started like terrorizing the town. And so. And then the, he kept closing his mouth so nobody could pull the thing out. <laughs> he went, <laughs> he was like, no. no. Like, a, like a dog with a, like a TV remote that it shouldn't like, have. Like Geo, Geo with socks. socks. <laughs> yes, precisely. And much like a golem or a Frankenstein's monster, Geo definitely <laughs> does not do what he's told and decides that he has superiority over everyone. So, fits. <sighs> It's pretty well. So that's exactly it. But uh, somehow the rabbi found out that uh, the golem was terrorizing the town, was able to pry its mouth open and and get the Shem out and turned it off. And now there's this um, folklore that he left that Shem in the old synagogue in Prague. And you can still, which I don't know why they don't call it the old Sin of Prague. Um, <laughs> but Eva, when, write that down. We need to write a letter to Prague. Uh, Eva, we have to build the Sin of Prague immediately. We need to, we need to call the... <laughs> Call it the Prague, the construction, the construction company of Prague. Okay, (laughs) Um, yikes. So uh, there's a legend that it's still upstairs in the attic and just kind of waiting for the next time it's needed to protect the Jewish people. Um, But uh, I really went out of order, so let me read through my own notes. I just really decided to run with it. So hang on. I derailed you. You don't say. (laughs) (laughs) Um, Okay, so okay. So here's a fun fact about that story is that uh, Rabbi Lowe, who I'm pretty sure was real. Um, I think I'm going to I'm going to commit to that. He was real. Rabbi Lowe was real. Um, but he actually didn't believe in miracles. He didn't con- or he condemned magic and he never wrote about the golem. So this was almost like a story where someone really respected the rabbi and just kind of inserted him into the story. Oh, of interesting. Like he helped. um create a protector for the Jewish people when they really needed it. Oh, okay. So people say that the rabbi told the story and it's a real story. But in 1909, really what happened was that a manuscript from his son-in-law was quote found or discovered, but like nobody's ever actually seen the legitimate manuscript. It's just like this story is, this is how like the legend has kind of grown of like, Oh, well there's no like real hard context where this story existed, but it's allegedly sure. from this manuscript that was found and then went missing again. Sure. 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 Um, so apparently this manuscript was discovered by uh, a guy named Udal Rosenberg and he ended up using that manuscript he discovered um, to write his own version and publish it as a real manuscript and it was called golem and the wondrous deeds of the maharal of prague the maharal maharal of prague is rabbi low oh okay got it, got it. so uh the wondrous deeds of the rabbi low um so he wrote his own book after a potentially fake manuscript he potentially <laughs> never discovered 
fun got it (laughs) i think you just needed like an explanation for like how he was inspired to write this yes yes yes, um so anyway so he published it and when the book came out or when he was writing the book actually um it was at the same time that there were more blood libel accusations and Mm. and then there were also problems in russia for jewish people so like i think he was writing during that kind of headspace where he was like i'm going to write something about this golem and make him look like a protector just because okay. it's what we need. So yeah, yeah. this is why I mentioned earlier that this is not in chronological order because I think a lot of people would be confused here. Before this whole story about Rabbi Lowe and creating the golem and now he's in the attic, that was a story after the golem had already existed, but it was known beforehand as more of like a, a servant that you could create to help you with labor. Oh, so, okay. And then uh, this Rabbi Lowe thing, that's where things change because now the golem was seen as this like protector or guardian of the Jewish people. And uh, that's why it's probably best known because all of a sudden the golem was like this revered character. Like the superhero. Yeah. Yeah. So um, and also the relocating of Jewish people for many horrible reasons um, and other, you know, just general reasons, just the the general spread of Jewish people across the world has helped perpetuate the story of go- the golem. Sure. So um, that's probably how it's best known is just through word of mouth. Um, before, uh, like I said, before the Rabbi Lowe story, the golem was seen as a servant to help aid Jewish people with their work. Um, the earliest mention of the golem is actually in Germany's Rhineland in uh, the 12th century. So that was Four centuries before the Rabbi Lowe story. And, oh, wow. Okay, yeah. At the time, there was this movement for Jewish people called the Pious of Ashkenazi, which, mm-hmm. fun fact, 23 me tells me that yep. I am 49% Ashkenazi. Nice. I am only 10%. <laughs> oh, 49. No, I'm 51, and then I'm 49% my dad. So I'm technically more mom than dad, which is fun. Um, <laughs> Linda wins. <laughs> I was like, by like 1%, I beat him out. I love um, that. So anyway, 51% Ashkenazi over here. Uh, I had also at ISS, uh, someone else there was uh, had Ashkenazi, like was a majority Ashkenazi Jewish or something. And uh, every time he saw me, we would walk past each other and say Ashkenaz. And I don't know why. And it felt, <laughs> I oh felt like God. if anyone else said it, it cool. would have been slightly anti-Semitic or something. But like, it was just like the way we like, you like bonded over it. It's the way we Aww. recognize each other. I every time I see Ashkenazi now, I just hear his voice scream Ashkenaz, and I'm like, that feels wrong to do, but it's like a it's, fist a fist bump. Yeah, I was like, I hmm, I wonder how other people feel about this, but it was it was done with love at least. So um, between two Ashkenazi people, so. Also, anyway. can I just say one thing real quick? I'm what? so sorry to interrupt you. Did I fuck up? Did I say something no, stupid? No, you did it at all. I feel really bad that I'm interrupting you. No. But so like when you were mentioning like the exile of the Jewish people, I was like, oh my God. Because so my mom's PhD was in like German Jewish exile literature. Oh, and great. So I texted her just real quick. Like, what was your PhD in again? Which I was like, this is a mistake to like open that door. Which And say? she literally just started sending me pictures of her PhD or oh my, her like for a second. I thesis. thought for a second, I thought you were going to say she just sent me pictures of the golem. And I'd be like, oh, my, oh my God. God. Can you imagine if She's- Dr. Renata of, <laughs> of the golem. <laughs> she sent me pictures of her dissertation. I was like, okay, I'm not going to like read it on air. Ask, I just wanted to know. Ask her right now, though, what she knows about the golem. And then maybe at the end, we can have like an excerpt of her if it's, if it's, do you, how should, do you know? What do you know about the golem or 
How do you spell that? G-O-L-U-M. E-M. Oh, E-M. I just want to see what she'd say, because if she has something to add... Oh, I'm sure she'll have something to add, whether she knows what it is or not. Uh, but yeah, her her uh, dissertation was on the change of the religious voices through the trauma of exile in the works of Jewish writers Elsa Laska Schuler, Nelly Zox, and Barbara Honigman. So, wow, you know, you know. Anyway, I just heard you say like Jewish exile. I was like, I would be remiss if I didn't give my mom some props in this no, area no, no. of That's expertise. Ho- I would love to hear what she has to say. She'll probably blow my entire like argument out the water. I'm, I'm certain like, she the won't. golem I'm never certain. existed. Um, she is the golem. She probably. is the golem. Wait a minute. Sometimes she, I'm going to tell when you when you're uh, not in later. the room, she just turns to stone. Um, <laughs> okay. So anyway, there was a this the pious of Ashkenazi. There's a documentary actually called "The Golem: A Legendary Jewish Clay Man and His Impact on Art," where they talk about the pious of Ashkenazi, which mm. is uh, the Rhineland's Jewish people at the time. They were quote very sure of their capabilities. And they did what God desired, and they were complying with all the commandments, and that's why they could achieve what others cannot now. Uh, Mm. That's where we first find the accounts of rituals to create a golem that were also successful. So it was at this time where I guess just like the purest of Jewish people, they somehow had this power because they were so perfectly righteous that they could almost perform godlike acts, including creating life. Okay. If that makes sense. Yes, it does. Um, and I guess throughout time, we've all just been, you know, slowly turning more into sinners and we're less likely to be able to do that or something. But at the time, there was a specific group of Ashkenazi people who had this ability like the rabbis. Okay. Um, and so uh, I just want you to remember that. And then also I'm going to come back right now to that phrase Emmet, the E-M-E-T. Oh, that, yeah. So putting that somewhere on its body, usually its chest or its forehead, um, that was part of the ritual to create a golem, to basically write the, the word for truth on the body. Um, and that's, I guess, truthfulness is like the highest value in Judaism. And the, oh. the three letters in uh, E-M-E-T, so I know there's two E's in there, but there's only three letters that it takes to make up the word. Each of those letters, um, it, it's weird, but they're, uh, so they're the first, the middle, and the last letter in the Hebrew alphabet and also, uh, visually, I like how there's like a reason, be- like visually. I know, I was like, I was just like, okay, I accept it, but there's I know. a whole reason well, behind I it. Well, I read this and I was like, this feels like someone had ADHD. <laughs> <I was> like, <laughs> this feels like this is too, too uh, specific. But if you look at the words E-M-E-T, apparently visually the, the letters rest on very wide bases, like they're wide letters. Ah, yeah. Um. And uh, that suggests that truth itself stands on a broad and stable foundation. Like, holy shit. Okay. Okay. We're Listen, really you don't looking, need to tell me twice. Really looking for all the metaphors here. Also, apparently, the word uh, sheker, S-H-E-K-E-R, which is the opposite of truth. It stands for falsehood. All the letters in that are uh, either narrow or round bases that suggest instability. So, ah. very weird. I don't know who... Wow. Re- I don't know who realized that. I can't imagine that, like, you know, that someone deep. hundreds of years ago. I think it was just a coincidence, but it, it I, sounds like something like someone on pot would be like, hey, you know what? It literally sounds like, you know what I just realized? Like, yeah. Truth and false are 
opposites, man. Like it's something. Eva, write that down so that hundreds of years from now, my wisdom will be passed. Eva, the generation. write down that M is like a really wide letter. You know, <laughs> <laughs> and it spells M. It's also the middle one of the. It's alphabet. also your name. Oh my god, Holy everything's changing. Shit. Well, anyway, so I just wanted to mention that because I had to read it and I was like, this is too weird. So <laughs> anyway, because Emmett means truthful or truthfulness or um, and that's like the highest value that because these righteous, almost godlike Ashkenazi Jewish people, if they wrote the highest value on this thing, it was almost kind of opening up the potential for it to really come come true. I sure. guess. Um, so anyway, uh so the other thing about it is, so the way that the that Rabbi Lowe in that story would take the Shem out of its mouth to kind of deactivate it or, you know, turn it to stone. Uh, one of the cool things about if you were to write E-M-E-T on uh, the forehead or the chest of the golem, it was like also just easier, which sounds like stereotypically like the most like Jewish thing in my family. Like, let's just make this as easy as possible. Let's just like really <laughs> just like... get a Sharpie and... Well, we'll if, you, if you write E-M-E-T and you just erase the E, apparently it only spells M-E-T, met, which means dead. So, like, it, like... Oh, turns that's it clever. Off. It's clever and so simple. It's like, ugh, I only have to wipe off a quarter of the stuff that I've caused. Like, I ugh. love that. I think it's, uh... It sounds exactly like how I would invent something. Like, just, Absolutely. Just wipe away what you did. You're fine. But then pretend it means something like really deep. <laughs> yeah, but now it like also totally makes sense. Yeah, 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 yeah. Um, so, uh, yeah, so you would just wipe off the first letter and then all of a sudden the problem solved. So the people in Rhineland were able to make these golems because, again, they were truly righteous and could perform godlike acts and create life. According to legend, uh, you know, Adam, famous uh, for Adam and Eve, uh, uh, you know, of Adam and Eve fame. Yeah, <laughs> exactly. Um, Adam was apparently a golem for the first 12 hours. Oh. Because uh, he was made from the dirt, but it was, I guess, in the first 12 hours, he, like, didn't have, like, a soul or a personality or something. And so they just thought of him as, like, this living shell of sorts. Okay. Weird. I'm sure there's some Christians out there who are angry right now, but that's okay. Um in the Hebrew Bible, God brings Adam forth from the earth, and then God actually is the one who breathes life into him later, is what the, I think, is closer to what the translation's supposed to be versus he doesn't have a soul. It was sure. that, like, okay, so step one was create him from earth, and step two will be the part that actually makes him alive because God will yeah, breathe yeah. life into him. So, um, and because... So they think that's why also like golems should represent the earth and, you know, they mm -hmm. were made from clay because Adam himself was made from the earth. So sure. it's just kind of a, a tie in on how it's Adam. Classic and Old Testament stuff, you know. Good stuff. Good stuff. People are made good of stuff. ribs and mud. It's great. Um, that's <laughs> the as, good old days. As far as my religion goes, my religion <laughs> understanding goes. Pretty extensive, I would say. <laughs> um, so part uh, part of the Jewish tradition or Jewish beliefs is that the rabbi could create artificial man, but because the rabbi himself is not God, he could not actually uh, give full power to these golems. So okay. he could basically create it and create life only to a certain point, whereas God actually gives you, like, the power to, like, speak or uh, just weird. I would think God is the one that gives you life and then everything else you can learn. But apparently uh, the understanding is only God 
uh, can make can give man the power to speak. And so a lot of times golems are mute. Actually, I think across all stories, golems are mute and don't speak because there's only so much oh. a rabbi can create for them ability wise. And one, okay. one of the powers is they can't talk. Um, and so in many Bronze Age mythologies, fun fact, God is depicted as a potter. And uh, he's at a potter's wheel a lot of times making humans from clay. And, oh, I love that. And in the book of Job, uh, Job tells Adam, you and I are the same before God. I, too, was nipped from clay. So it's just a lot of nods to, like, all life comes from clay and the earth. Mm-hmm. And so, it, you know, go- the golem is made from the same stuff as you and me. Um. And uh, one fun fact, apparently there is one claim that golems are, aren't made from clay, but they're made from wood. Um, oh. Because it, there was this one Jewish poet named Solomon Gabirol. Gabirol? It doesn't matter. I, I can't say. Gabirol. Solomon G. And <laughs> uh, he allegedly had some sort of like skin disease. And so he put himself, he like ran away and like hid in the woods because he was embarrassed about it. Oh no. Um, but apparently he was able to make himself a golem out of the wood from the trees that he was living under. Um, so apparently they don't just have to be made from clay. They can be made from wood. Oh. The, the weird thing about Solomon's situation though is like, not that the golem was made from wood, but that he particularly specifically made a female golem. Yeah, okay, that was my next question. Uh-huh. <laughs> yeah. What were the intentions here? Got it. It's not to maybe be a concubine of, of sorts, if you will. Oh, goodness. Um, it seems like the, I mean, if you think about it, this is like not a cute look. But I mean, he wanted, first of all, a golem who is historically uh, best known for being a servant to do your chores. Uh, oh, there's no way because you are not God to give it the power to speak. So now it's a silent female servant who oh, he dear. is having sexual relations with. So oh, good, just gracious. everything perfect about toxic masculinity. <laughs> um, and there was one rabbi in the 16th century who defended this situation um, because he said, since golems are not, quote, born from men's semen or grown in a woman's womb, sex with a golem is not a sin. Which then that could really get messy if it's like... It gets messy real quick. Yeah, that could very, very quickly trickle into some other stuff when you're saying like, oh, well, it's not made from a human or it's not human, so you can have sex with it. So I'm just going to like, I was going to list a whole bunch of things. I'm just going to let everyone's imagination take their own stab at it. Everyone else's imagination can, can run off and do what you want. It doesn't, we don't, we don't talk about any more of it, but I just wanted to make it clear that someone. 2021, I'm going to step out of it for once. This was in the 16th century, so luckily, if we wanted to just totally cancel that person, he's already dead. Um, he's canceled. So he's, like, physically canceled. He's, like, gone. <laughs> Physiologically canceled. Um, so, fun fact, Mary Shelley, who wrote Frankenstein, yeah. she actually took inspiration from the Golem Legends. Oh. Because it was a, a creature created from by man. Um in Frankenstein, she also does confront the ethical issues of creating artificial life, which we discussed during that episode. I think mm. it was 195. I loved that episode. It was a, it's a real thinker because it makes you think like, you know, artificial life, how far can you really go? Yeah, because that one got into like cr- true crime as far as like body yeah. parts and reanimating and, corpses. And like a discussion on morals of like what's right and what's <sighs> yes. wrong. So, ethics of oh my gosh, so fascinating. So you can really talk about that also with the golems of like you're creating something yeah. purely to serve you like blindly and just like 
But at some point, if the the fear or the superstition is the longer it's alive, the more powerful right. it becomes and the more human it thinks, then like, are are you God by turning it off and keeping it from having its own thoughts? So And like, if it's becoming more human and you're having quote unquote sexual relations with it, oh. how far along does it get to a point where you're uh-huh. like, yep. it doesn't have a say? Like, I don't know. This Did it ever creepy. have a say? Yeah. Yikes. It could, it could get real bad real quick. Um, uh-huh. Uh-huh. So here's uh, one thing that's kind of like, it, it ends up being funny. So hang in there. Hang in there for a second. Okay, I'm so hanging. today, uh, golem is actually Hebrew slang for an idiot. Um, and oh. it's because uh, one of the arguably funniest parts to me about a golem is in their personality is that they take things way too fucking literally. And so... Oh, like Amelia Bedelia. <laughs> I, would, I literally wrote like Amelia Bedelia. I, okay, I recently have started... We all know I love to collect things and eBay won't let me buy Pokemon cards anymore. So I've recently been trying to recollect all the Amelia Bedelia books. I love Amelia Bedelia, dude. I, like Amelia Bedelia was one of the only books that I fucking loved I think like reading. that's where we formed our hu- sense of humor was maybe like from those that books. That girl was kooky as ever. She was so funny. Wow. She made me laugh. Draw the drapes and she'd just sketch you a oh picture. Oh my God. I still think of that every time someone uses the word draw or uh, stuff the turkey or whatever. I mean, oh my God. Oh, Miss Bedelia. She, I loved her so much. I, um, I, I really hope I can collect all the books. It would be very fun for me. So can you if, read them to me at bedtime? I, I haven't to. read them in ages. If anyone would like, if you have old Amelia Bedelia books lying around, and you want to send them to our PO box. I will happily take them. <laughs> um, okay. So they take their job way too literally. So if, if you're, owner or your creator said can i have uh some water they would literally go out and because they were also freakishly strong they would pick up the entire well and try to bring the well into your house or like uh i need some firewood and they would pick up the tree roots and all (laughs) and then it would like it was like like a very beautiful dramedy of like the tree would (laughs) fall on your house like it was like just terrible circumstances would happen. So like, are you happy? And you're like, oh no. <laughs> and, and therefore, <laughs> did I do well? And so, uh, so now it's slang for an idiot. Um, okay. All right. I didn't see that coming. So here's a description of what a golem is supposed to look like. Around eight feet tall with glowing eyes and a thick belt around its waist. Although that image specifically comes from a film in the 20th century um, called The Golem, How He Came Into the World. I have not seen this movie, but according to the internet, it seems like it is pretty pivotal in um, the golems being seen in a lot of pop culture today. So a lot of the references you'll see about a golem have to do with that movie being made. Um, But I did also hear that it used a lot of creative license when telling the history of the story. Apparently it got real like dark magic-y. Um, versus like trying Ooh. to describe the history of religion. And sure, it's, okay. apparently there was a few notes that it had some anti-Semitic undertones. Oh, so dear. just, just if you're going to watch it, just be prepared for that. Um, so uh, let's see. So before the film, the original description of a golem was that they were slightly thinner and more human-like, but always tall and muscular. Um, but at the start of the 20th century, the golem, uh, started looking a little different, like having the belt around its waist and being kind of, I think, like maybe sort of pot-bellied or something. Um, and it started a following that way in pop culture because there was a book called Der, Der Golem, D-E-R. It's German. How do you say it? Oh, yeah. Der? Der, yeah. Der. 
Okay. Go on. <laughs> yeah, yeah, you got it. You got it. Um, and uh, it kind of depicted the golem as like scarier versus it being like a hero or a laborer or something like that. It was kind of more of like a, like a, like kind of spooky looking. Like a villain. Yeah, I guess so. So uh, this is still probably the most famous version. So a combination of that and then the golem from the, the film. Uh, in the 1900s. Okay. Um, so like Frankenstein, Golem is a loose interpretation for films about AI um, or machines in general who develop human tendencies. Um, also, the head of the neurorobotics research lab in Berlin, his, uh, their name's Manfred Hild, and uh, basically they were talking about how the more a Golem becomes a human, the likelier that they are more destructive towards their surroundings because they are less obedient. And uh, Manfred said... It's basically the same concept for golems and robots where fear has become the main element because robots and AI are our version of golems in that it's the farthest we can get without creating life. Sure. Okay. Yeah. So that makes sense. I think that's a really good way to look at it of like, we can only build so much with the technology or the abilities we have, but there's no breathing true life into it. So it's yep. almost soulless life. Um, uh, and then the, <laughs> so the golem also if you're looking for uh, one of the other ways that we have been inspired by the golem, there is and a I am. there's a poem which people have heard of, I think, called "The Sorcerer's Apprentice." Aha! Uh-huh. Um, and here is basically like a quick excerpt slash blurb uh, explaining the the, the poem. Um, as an old sorcerer departs his workshop, uh, leaving his apprentice with chores to perform, tired of fetching water by pail, the apprentice enchants a broom to do the work for him using magic oh God, and I'm which uh, uh, enchants a broom to do the work for him using magic in which he is not fully trained. The uh-huh. floor is soon awash with water and the apprentice realizes that he cannot stop the broom because he doesn't know that ma- that magic required to do so. The apprentice uh, splits the broom in two with an axe, but each of the pieces becomes Ah. a whole broom and uh, takes up a pail and continues fetching water, now at twice the speed. At at this increased pace, the entire room quickly begins to flood. When all seems lost, the old sorcerer returns and quickly breaks the spell, and the poem concludes with the old sorcerer's statement that only a master should invoke powerful spirits. So, Fantasia traumatized the shit out of me when I was a kid. <laughs> and that poem adapted uh, into uh, was adapted into Disney's. The Fantasia. last time I was in LA, Eva and I like before you got, came over. Eva and I spent like a solid half hour talking about how much Fantasia traumatized us as children. You know what's weird is I don't I don't think I realize it traumatized me. But if anyone were to ever say, "Do you want to watch Fantasia?" My first thought is absolutely not. So no. like, I think it's because I also I do. It's just. If let's put it this way, in a if we were to tweet it out, we would say if you watch Fantasia as a child, you have anxiety now. Like, yeah, I think that's a I fair argument. <laughs> there were three VHS tapes that I hid from my father because he likes. He's like, you know, he like read me Franz Kafka t- as like a bedtime story, so he loved <laughs> watching me like turmoil in turmoil. But so the three VHS tapes I hid from him were Fox and the Hound, Dumbo, and Fantasia because I was like, these three are. Go- I mean, and they did stick in my brain forever. So those are under my mattress for a long time. Dumbo traumatized me. I think that was a brave choice of Disney to recently make a live action version of that compared to other movies. I didn't understand. I was like, no, I was thank like, you. of all the movies, you're going to pick the one that like most people have the worst crying experiences to. Mm-hmm. Um, like you couldn't pick Little Mermaid. You couldn't pick. Uh, you know, literally anything, literally anything else besides Fox and the Hound. You know, it would be a precious live action. And the day it happens, I'm going to squeal is uh, 
So I have three favorite, uh, uh, four favorite Disney movies, and they were all the, quote, boy movies, if that even is a thing, which it is not. <laughs> but, like, I liked Hercules and Tarzan a lot, and I, but my two favorites were um, uh, The Fox and the Hound, which b- apparently I'm a masochist, and then also yep. uh, Oliver and Company. If they did oh, oh, that was so good. If they did a live action of Oliver and Company, I'd I lose my did. fucking mind. No. Did, well, oh, I mean, Okay. I thought they did, but I could probably be completely. I think it's the up. reverse because Oliver and Company is from like the live action Oliver Twist, which is from the Broadway. Maybe Oliver. that's what I'm. <laughs> yeah, I'm probably I'm probably making this up. Um, if they did, I don't know about it, and I'm about to go frantically Netflix it. So. Yeah, I could wait. Yeah, Oliver and Company is is a live action. There's no way it says. Kristen Bell, Bill Hader. Maybe it's coming up. Maybe I just like. <gasps> Wait, a... it is coming up. Oh, my God. Wait, I don't know. I don't know. It says Kristen Dodge, Bell's in it. Is Dodger Billy Joel? Hang on a second. I got to see something. But now it's not in like IMDb or anything. So, oh, wait, it's a casting thing. Maybe it never actually happened. Oliver and Company live action. No. OK. You Everyone know what? needs it's to f- know at the same time. Together. And it's a fan cast. It's not. Damn real. It. I know. Uh, anyway, sorry. I think I'm probably fan casted it myself. Well, I am why. excited that Hercules is becoming a live action. So very, very excited. Also, I just want to. I just made a realization hmm. that <laughs> this is like right. Eva, write this down for my therapist later. Oh. I just realized my two favorite animals are elephants and foxes, and they're the movies and you like, refuse to watch in Disney. Maybe you have the most, tra- and they traramatize me because the the like victims in those movies were the baby elephant and the fox. Also, so think- the the fox and the hound uh, was actually much fucking worse because it wasn't it. Uh, it was like adapted from like something like a like a Brothers Grimm or something. Like it was. Yeah, they were both really bad. Dumbo was like lost. His mom was like caged up and like tortured and taken away. I mean, well, no, listen. I mean like like the like the Fox and the Hound Disney movie is like arguably much less traumatic oh, than the certainly so. Yes, I think yes. like in the real one, like the dog like tears him to pieces or something yes something yes awful. i'm certain that's right that sounds very like German. the hunter like um, forced the dog to like eat his best friend or something it was really it's terrible. no wonder that like my parents thought it was fun to watch these <laughs> as a family but yeah anyway, those, are my favorite, those are my favorite animals that's just a weird connection i made anyway anyway fantasia right remember that right 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 um so here's a fun fact about fantasia apparently walt disney when they uh first uh premiered it uh they decided that they wanted to like stimulate the, the senses of the audience and so they uh, put perfume in the theater during the Nutcracker Suite, and they also what? did the smell of gunpowder to fill the room during the oh. Sorcerer's Apprentice. Well, that's not frightening at all. No. I know a lot of Broadway shows do that, though. Like, they'll do, like, the smell of uh, a certain food in the show or something. Or I mean, it's it's not uncommon, but I think it was probably, like, ahead of its time back then. Yeah. I mean, I I didn't know that existed. Also, gunpowder is a scary thing to smell in a crowded theater just saying <laughs> well apparently not back then uh and, not back then and also when the, the whole theme of the entire thing is uh anxiety terror <laughs> like, yeah. let's also smell gunpowder <laughs> um so another fun fact is that the film's uh music conductor uh the so fantasia's music conductor actually originally pitched to walt disney that instead of mickey be uh, the main character and play the sorcerer's apprentice uh he pitched that it would be dopey from the seven dwarves which that's fun. I think it kind of actually would have worked really well to like, I mean, the I think whole, it would have been less anxiety inducing. Uh, yeah, I think so too. I think it makes sense though. If it were going to be dopey, the one who like didn't, didn't know his, like the magical powers he needed to be able to, you know? Yeah. I don't know. It, it, it does make sense. I think it makes sense. 
Uh, apparently, Walt Disney was like, that was the stupidest idea I've ever heard. Oh, um, okay. All right. So the golem legend uh, has also been found in many folk tales. Uh, there's a Yiddish and Slavic folk tale called Clayboy. Um, and it. apparently it's like a weird combination of the golem and then like the gingerbread man. Um, and the story, I guess there's a million different versions of it. But the, the general premise is that uh, a couple makes a child out of clay. And there are disastrous consequences. So, uh-huh. okay, that sounds about right. So, one Russian version is that an older couple whose children left home made uh, wanted another kid, so they made a boy out of clay. Um, and when the clay boy comes to life, the he starts eating all of their food, and he won't stop growing. He soon is eating their livestock. Then he eats them. Then he destroys the village, and then a goat kills him. Oh, so dear. it gets oh, dear. Real out of hand, real fast. Sounds like a Disney film from it's, my childhood. <laughs> sounds like uh, the early adaptation of a movie for sure. <laughs> uh, so in the Czech Republic, there are uh, ma- many golem touristy things to do. I forgot to Google what things because I wanted to give you a list. So sorry about that. But everyone take a little googs if you'd like. <laughs> um, uh, throughout the Czech Republic, yeah, there. it's also the golem is still a very popular figure. You can see statues, signs of the golem. You can buy little figurines made of clay if you'd like. You can also visit uh, Rabbi Lowe's grave, which apparently <gasps> Michelle Obama has done. So, Oh, cool. If you want to be like Michelle Obama, go, I do. go visit Rabbi Lowe's grave. You can also visit the old Cineprog, if you will, <laughs> uh, the old the Prague's old synagogue. It sounds like a Cinnabon. <laughs> Look, it's just making me hungry. Maybe they could have Walt Disney pump in the smell of Cinnabon in uh-huh. the, the Cineprog, and then we've like got ourselves really something a going A marketing there. opportunity, yeah. Uh-huh. Yeah. Uh, Cinnabon, are you listening? Okay. Prague? No? Okay. Prague? Uh, Eva, I told you to get Prague on the phone. <laughs> are they here yet? Okay. I um, guess not. So, like I said in the, or the original legend uh, of the Golem of Prague is that he's still waiting in the attic of the synagogue uh, to be reactivated so that he can help protect the Jewish people again when they need him most. And uh, the, uh, the I keep wanting to call it the Cineprague because I fucked myself up. Um, the Golem, Jesus... The golem is has been seen in a lot of pop culture. I already mentioned The Simpsons. Uh, it's also used a lot as a creature in games. So like D&D. Mm. Um, apparently the golem in Dungeons and Dragons is a monster that is made from either flesh, clay, stone, or iron. And based on what it's made of determines its strength. Um, oh. It is also in uh, Pokemon. Hello, golem is number 76. Uh, okay. I, yeah, I'm starting to understand why I've heard this name before so this word geodude turns into graveler who turns into golem so right oh uh, my god so golem is i mean now that i'm looking at it it makes total sense i used to think he was like a rock turtle or something yeah same but now it makes sense that he is like just a, a creature that's made of like clay and rock um and he is like one of his big like powers he's like you know a protector and like he like everything can like bounce off of him and stuff yeah. so oh um and one of my favorite things about Golem, which, like, I don't know if Pokemon was trying to do this, but it certainly fulfilled my stereotypical Jewish needs of my stereotypical Jewish family, is that Golem requires 100 candies to evolve, which sounds <laughs> sounds like oh. me. Like, if you want me to be the best version of myself, I need minimum 100 candies. So 99 won't do. It won't do. So you give me a bag of Reese's and we'll see where I end up tomorrow. Um, oh. And then... Uh, it's also uh, Golem is seen in Minecraft as apparently iron go- golems and snow golems. According to PC games, 
uh, an iron golem's primary function is to protect villagers. Um, and despite being able to punch the life out of most things, this is like an actual like review, I think, or something, (laughs) uh, despite being able to punch the life out of most things, they're also incredibly kind hearted and can often be seen spotted, uh, offering villagers poppies that they can magically create in their own hands. Well, that's nice. So that's sweet. Um, uh, so here's my favorite way that they have been mentioned, uh, the golems. Are you ready? Yeah, not not well. They haven't been not that it, not in a bad way, but I mean like not um, consistently. It was just like almost like a little cameo of sorts. But okay. the golem is apparently uh, was mentioned in Marvel. So oh, uh, the golem. I think it was like ten different comic book issues. They're all from different series, but in ten comic issues out there, um, the golem is seen as a humanoid creature. They, by the way, Stan Lee or Jack Kirby or whoever at Marvel decided to create golem really didn't even want to fucking mess with the back the backstory at all. Oh, interesting. The, this is how Golem, the superhero, was created. Uh, Golem is a humanoid creature made in the 16th century from clay by Rabbi Lowe to protect Jewish people from persecutors Stop. in Prague. Um, they so just copy, copy and paste that wiki right They were in like, there. we don't even want to mess with this. Love it. Yeah. So, uh, so their superhero story, there's two different golems. I think in two different series, it was like a different alter ego or something that becomes golem. So one of them was uh, this archaeologist named Abraham Adamson. Um, and he uh, was looking for the stone. He always heard about golem and he wanted to, to find golem. Uh, finally finds Golem and then something happens to him where he is dying right next to Golem. And so he ends up putting his life force into Golem. Um, at the same time that he's dying, he's praying that his family would be safe and something would protect his family. So (gasps) he becomes Golem, a protector. And, uh, Basically, he's reanimated as Golem. And I'm pretty sure, like, the the superhero thing is, like, you know, I don't know if you know this, but, like, super, uh, Superman with uh, Kryptonite or, like, uh, you know, like, once he's near Kryptonite, like, all of a sudden his powers are going mm-hmm. away or, like, uh, his powers are really, like, his real source of energy is the sun. So if he's, like, mm-hmm. not near the sun for very long, his powers start to weaken. Apparently, Golem, if he is not near land for very long, like near the earth. Oh. Then his then he loses his strength. He like becomes interesting. Less and less superhero like. So in one of the issues, he's like at sea the whole time and he's like becoming weaker and weaker. Oh um, no. And so uh let me see. Uh, blah, 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 blah. Apparently he's eight foot six. He's sixteen hundred pounds. This is the superhero. Sixteen hundred pounds. Just a safe sixteen hundred pounds. Hey, remember when you said the Yeti was eight feet tall and two hundred pounds? This thing is literally eight times heavier and six inches taller than the Yeti. Oh my god! Slash the Abominable Snowman. If you're listening from our last episode, I covered the Abominable Snowman. Right. So uh, eight foot six, sixteen hundred pounds. Apparently, his superpowers are that he's uh, his strength is drawn from the earth. He is durable, aka he can take like. Uh, shockwaves and bullets and explosions and like nothing hurts him. Uh, and he's apparently stronger than Captain America. Oh. Um, his first appearance ever was in 1970 in uh, The Incredible Hulk. And uh, that was the Abraham, uh, the Abraham Adamson one. But then there's another alter ego or a different character that becomes Golem one day. And it was m- more historically, uh, I guess, pivotal 
This was in 1977. The golem shows up in The Invaders. And this guy's name is Jacob Goldstein, which like, wow, they really ran with like the classy Jewish names. Mm-hmm. Uh, so he was apparently uh, in a Jewish ghetto during World War II, and he became golem purely to fight the Nazis. So oh, wow. I'm down with that, too. Yeah. Um, the enemy, this is kind of weird, and I don't totally understand it, but the enemy of um, golem is... Kabbalah, which is literally like the word for ancient Jewish tradition and mysticism, but like the vi- the villain's name was Kabbalah. Also, oh, the villain's name. Oh, got it, got it, got it, got it. Yeah. So huh. uh, the bad guy was Kabbalah, and he had like these little minions who worked for him that were all different demons made from the elements. So like they had, oh. uh, so Kabbalah would tell like air demons or fire demons or water demons that they had to fight Golem. So it was all oh. like weirdly. Like, they paid attention to the history before they made yeah. this comic. Um, and then I'm just going to end on my favorite fact of them all is that uh, the Golem at one point was also a member of S.H.I.E.L.D.'s Howling Commandos, which if anyone is a Captain America fan knows that the Howling Commandos were the unit that Captain America led in World War II. Um, and so apparently the Golem is from the same unit as Captain America. Oh! And he was, uh, guess who else was in the Howling Commandos, apparently? I don't know, you? I wish. The the fucking abominable snowman. Shut up. So apparently Marvel had like a series called like Monster Force and they were all about like weird cryptids. I've never known this. But oh apparently Oh my god, how weird is that? So the unit Howling Commandos, apparently there's a a whole series where it's Howling Commandos has uh this break off for they're they're called the Monster Force of the Howling oh my Commandos. Gosh. <gasps> and two of the people on it were the Golem and the Abominable Snowman. And uh, so the Abominable Snowman, I'm going to say real quick, his name, his alter ego was Carl Hansen. Um, and he was an explorer looking for the Abominable Snowman. And he steals a cursed picture of the Yeti in the Himalayas. And over time, as he climbs the mountain looking for the Yeti, he becomes the <gasps> Yeti. It sounds a lot like stealing that finger and all that. Yeah. You know? So the Abominable mm. Snowman actually at, at one point worked with the X-Men. He was also known for uh, being able to like take, you know, he was bulletproof and all that. He had superhuman smell. Apparently he was a pilot. Good for you. And uh, he first appeared in 1960s Tales to Astonish. And here's the, the, the trifecta here is in one of the issues uh, that the Abominable Snowman is mentioned in on the Monster Force with the Golem. The Abominable Snowman teams up with Sasquatch to fight Groot from Guardians of the Galaxy. Stop! How weird is that? Anyway, that's the Golem slash a little Marvel trivia for you. Wow, that really ended on an M note there. On a a weird note. I had no idea about any of that comics. I have to go read that now for sure and catch you up on what Sasquatch is doing with Captain America or whatever. Uh, Yeah. Anyway. Because you did like the Yeti back to back with the Golem. That is so bizarre. I I learned about, I did the Golem second, my notes for the Golem second. And I was, uh, and I was reading about this Marvel shit and I was like, Howling Commandos, that's so wild. And then it said, also with the Abominable Snowman. And I went, <laughs> so I went weird. I'm sorry, did my own notes get accidentally copy and pasted onto this page? What happened? <gasps> and apparently they're both mentioned on this like monster force. I, know, you I, go. I think it's a pretty recent series. I think it's from like this decade or something. Like it's not like a classic, but, um, but still like I'm going to go check it out. So anyway. Wow. Okay. Well, that was cool. You kind of bridged a gap there without even knowing it. Sure did. Um, okay, well, let me just check real quick, because earlier I googled if Gollum was Golem. I don't know. 
but I don't I don't know. I th- apparently it's very much argued on the internet whether or not Gollum had anything to do with go. But now Gollum. that you know the history, it does. I mean, he's supposed to protect the ring. I mean, so that makes sense. It does make some sense, yeah. And he does kind of look like he's made of clay, like he's kind of right, gray and weird looking. But he is kind of gray um, and weird looking. You're right. So I mean, I, who knows? Did did um, Doctor Renata say anything about uh, Golem? Um, oh my god, she always says something. I said, "Do you know what a golem is?" And she said, "Yes." Oh, uh, so that was good. And Riveting. then about ten minutes. <laughs> And then, like, I guess a few minutes later, since I didn't respond, she sent another text message that says, it depends on the country. I kind of think of it as a vessel. You can put good and bad in it, and it stands for whatever you need. Oh. So. Well, it was seen uh, for a long time across the traditions as, like, a symbol of hope and protection during times of, like, genocide and shit. So I guess it is, like, based on how you manifest it or perceive it. Yeah. Well, it's interesting, too, depending on, like, which country was experiencing right. what kind of persecution or whatever. Mm. Uh, sometimes a dwarf is just a dwarf and a golem is just a golem. So just sit back, relax, and enjoy the movie. Okay, Seth, geez. Get over it, Seth. God, Damn. I'm sorry. I'm just curious about the history <laughs> behind the movie. Damn, okay. all right. So apparently, probably not is the answer. So my okay. bad. Okay, Emothy. I'm ready. I'm so excited. I'm starting 2021 out with a bang. Oh, I for you today, Emothy. First right. story of 2021. I'm covering the son of Sam. <gasps> oh, man. OK, my uh, my I was going to say my aunt has a story, but she doesn't have like a legitimate story. But my whole family is was from the area. My mom also was from that area at the time. And so yeah. they all at least kind of like how I've told you, like, I remember like little moments of like the DC sniper, the sniper. like like having to run from the car into buildings and shit. My mm-hmm mom and my dad and all of his siblings have said like oh we remember like no parking here no doing this like if you drove near this area you tried to find another route like just yeah. because there were son of sam it was like the, he was like terrorizing the the area yeah so they i think it's uh oh that's fun i've i've heard i've heard uh my mom kind of poor sadly reminiscing about like the times yeah, where she had to that's be nervous interesting. so anyway Wow. Okay. Well, I wonder what I wonder if you'll make any connections here. So let's just crack into it. And Son of Sam, by the way, in case anyone else is wary, is a legitimate actual uh, criminal. This is not the Grinch 2.0. Oh, <laughs> yeah. Linda remembers him well. <laughs> well, look, I think for generations, we all remember the Grinch pretty well. And somehow it totally uh, escaped me. So just yes, in- no. Son of Sam, I think, is one of those that uh, gets gets quite a quite a following i think quite a following yeah in in one way or another yeah so our story begins july 31st 1977 stacy moskowitz and bobby violante were on their first date sitting in his parked car in brooklyn's lover's lane Hmm. when stacy spotted a figure lurking in the shadows shit she asked bobby to leave but he convinced her it was nothing to be afraid of but he would forever wish that they had driven away because unfortunately, moments later, the man walked up to the car and shot both Stacy and Bobby. Oh my God! Tragically, Stacy died and Bobby survived. However, he lost his left eye and was blinded. Wow! Fortunately for police, though, there had been a witness. <gasps> okay. The witness had seen a man getting away in a car that had a parking ticket on it. Only a handful of tickets were given out that day. One of which belonged to a man called David Berkowitz. Yep. Okay. So 
rewind. Uh, (laughs) A lot of this info is from my favorite site, Murderpedia. Uh, As most of you know, I I just love Murderpedia. It's like a basically like an amalgamation of of just tons of articles on like a single killer, all kind of like laid out. It's like it, it's the Christine Bible if you need. Yeah, yeah. For yes, the for the, the Christine Chapel, as some The Christine Chapel, that's our testament. Yes. Your, that's your testament, yep. <laughs> um, so okay. David Berkowitz was born Richard David Falco to a woman named Betty Broder on June first, nineteen fifty-three. Here we go. He Gemini did, season. Did not have to attack me like that, Christine. Yeah, I know. This is a pointed attack from <laughs> the universe, I think, at us specifically. And you know how people are always tagging us in those memes that are like, most serial killers are Gemini's. I'm like, <laughs> well, yeah, we're not denying it. Well, like, it's like we well, know. don't make me mad then and keep yeah, telling exactly. me. Yeah. Exactly. <laughs> then why don't you step off? Yeah. Uh, <laughs> Like it shocks me zero percent that any serial killer would be a Gemini. It 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 just fits, you know. Yeah, it's um, absolutely. F- we are very emotional people. Uh huh. Oh, yeah, <laughs> very very emotional. Too emotional people. that some of us have are emotionless. Actually, so. yeah, yeah, exactly. So he was born in Brooklyn uh, on June first, nineteen fifty three. So Betty, his mom, was also bringing up a, a young daughter, but she had begun a relationship with a married man. Um, and apparently his wife actually knew about it and they'd like sometimes have dinners together. So it wasn't like a secret, like it was a secret to the outside world, but in the family, like this man's wife knew he had a mistress. So they were potentially like just poly before it was like accepted by the world. Sort of. Okay. We're not, I think the wife just accepted it because she didn't really have a choice. I don't think it was like, this is fun for me as the woman. I think it was like, Got it. He, he's the man. He gets to do what he wants. Is is more of the understanding I've gotten. I see. I won't. Um, I won't attach. Uh, I won't attach the poly community to yeah, David Berkowitz. Yeah. Then I'm not going to put labels on this because it's just not a good look. So for got it. Apologies um, to uh, to to everyone listening. <laughs> to everybody. Just on to, the I was going to say to the poly community, and I was like, no, no, no. Just just to everyone. <laughs> just like a general apology to to fill the gaps, if you will. Yeah, 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 yeah. Um, so she sometimes, so the wife apparently knew about this, but, uh, the one condition of Betty being supported by this man that she was having an affair with was that she could not get pregnant because they were like, if anybody, like, he was like, I, from the outside world, I'm like a great husband and family man. And if it gets out that I have a mistress with a baby, right. this is just not a good look. So the one rule is that she not get pregnant. Well, I think we can all guess where this is going. Oops. Maybe in nine months, there was a, a little baby crying in the background of the story. A little itty bitty baby. So he was not happy, obviously, but uh, Betty didn't have enough money to continue a livelihood without his support. Um, and so basically Richard, the baby, was put up for adoption when he was just a few days old, and he was adopted by Nathan and Pearl Berkowitz. Uh-huh. So they were hardware, they were Jewish American hardware store retailers, and they had been trying for a baby for a long time and were very ecstatic uh, to finally have a baby. Um, And they changed his name. So his middle name, his name originally was Richard David Falco. So they changed his name to David and then his middle name and then uh, gave the last name Berkowitz. So when he was about 11, uh, his mom and dad told him that he was adopted. And this completely blindsided him, um, especially because they kind of fudged the truth. So they told him that 
uh, instead of saying that his mother had given him up for adoption, they said his mother had died in childbirth mm. and that his father wasn't able to care for him. It didn't have like the means necessary to care for him. And I think they might have had good intentions, but this backfired because for the rest of uh, his childhood, he had this guilt that he had killed his mother in childbirth Ooh, and that like his dad maybe hated him because he oh. was the reason his mother died I mean, so I, I first of all I, I hope i hope you know that's a sad feeling to have but like i also like i feel like if i were in that situation i would feel the same way i'd always completely I'd especially always, as a kid like you don't yeah. know any better you know i'd be like you know what was the the emotional process for having to give me up was my dad excited because he was getting rid of the thing that like, right hurt someone did he, he not loves? want me yeah. like so he felt unwanted and he felt like guilty because he felt that he was the cause for his so you know they didn't i don't think intend that but that's sure. kind of what ended up happening what um, comes from it yeah yeah and so uh yeah, sorry. So he was known to be like a actually a very smart kid. He had a high IQ. Um, I think his IQ was like 118 at the age of like seven or something. Like he was big. Real smart. My IQ is 2000. So like, oh yeah, yeah. You know, he doesn't oh God. hold a candle to me. And you're only eight. That's, That's the truth. That's the truth. <laughs> um. So, but with his high IQ, he also had some pretty intense behavioral issues. Uh. In later testimony, he recalled. Now this is kind of a long quote, but. Hang in there. Okay. Ever since I was a small child, my life seemed to be filled with torment. I would often have seizures in which I would roll on the floor. Sometimes furniture would get knocked over. When these attacks came, it felt as if something was entering me. My mother had no control over me. I was like a wild and destructive animal. My father had to pin me to the floor until the attacks stopped. When I was in public school, I was so violent and disruptive that a teacher who had become so angry at me grabbed me in a headlock and threw me out of his classroom. I was getting into a lot of fights, too. Sometimes I started screaming for no reason at all. Wow. So he was a troublemaker, for lack of a Sounds more like specific it, yeah. word. Also, yikes, seizures. I feel bad for him. Yeah. In that uh, one regard ever. So just Yeah, well, and I, I'm not, it's, it's not clear whether he was, like, having seizures or whether he was faking I it. I mean, Spoiler alert, later on, he claimed that he had been possessed by the devil. So oh, my who word. knows okay. how much of it is like scrap what I just said. health <laughs> issue or because there was never any mention of like he actually had a seizure condition. That's not something oh, okay. that. Okay, got it. Okay. Well, I think he mostly was referring to like having fits and like tantrums. And okay, got it. Got it, got it. Throwing things around. Um, but I mean, it could be. Uh, but so despite his outbursts, he was extremely close to his mom. Her, his parents, for what it's worth, were like very loving. They really, really cared for him. Um, apparently, he was somewhat spoiled being like the you know only child and that they had wanted for so long. Um, but unfortunately, she passed Pearl passed from cancer in 1967 when he was only 14 years old. And um, he was like completely gutted, like he was hmm. devastated by his, the death of his mother. Um, at the age of 18, Berkowitz graduated from Christopher Columbus High School in the Bronx and then attended Bronx Community College for a semester before being enlisted in the U.S. Army. He qualified as an infantry sharpshooter with the M16 rifle and went on to serve in South Korea, where he excelled as a proficient marksman. Ooh, so okay. that Yikes. comes into play, depending, sure depending on how much you know of the story. Well, you started it with someone got shot in the eye, so... Oh, that's right. I already told you that part. And another yep. person also got shot and died. So I'm like, how mysterious. And you're like, no, you literally already said that. <laughs> like, one can take a hit. Remember, my IQ is 2000. So oh, that's right. Got to be Mine's quicker only than that. Like, 
six, so it's fine. <laughs> I, I <laughs> together we average out to be a pretty good team, I think. That's so. true. Yeah. yeah. I um I literally I'm still on the same page and I'd already forgotten the entire beginning. So good for me. <laughs> uh, <laughs> so let's see. He excelled as a marksman and early in his army service, for whatever reason, he left Judaism to become a fundamentalist Baptist. He just kind of one day decided to walk into a Christian, a Baptist church and said, this is for me now, I guess. Okay. It's kind of unclear why. Um, It is speculated that when he joined the army, he was still a virgin and that his first sexual experience during his three-year service was with a sex worker. Okay. And uh, let's just say it didn't go well for him because afterward he uh, contracted venereal disease. And this is thought to have greatly exacerbated his anger toward women. So, Uh, okay. He hadn't really had any sexual experiences before then. And then when he did have one, it ended very poorly. And that just was not a good step in his, in his life toward a murderer. (laughs) Yeah. Got it. Got it. Got it. (laughs) Checks out. Checks out. I think so. Eva, put it on the whiteboard. Eva, does it check out? Yes or no? We'll do a poll. Just, just say yes or yes, because yeah. I don't want to hear no. I don't I mean, want to do it. We're going to do a poll and you're going to answer. And then that's the answer. And you're going to say the right answer. Yeah. Yeah. And the answer is yes. After finishing <laughs> military service in 1974, uh, Berkowitz returned to New York, where he got a job as a letter sorter for the U.S. Postal Service before working as a security guard. Um, and so this is a fun fact. Uh, I don't know how much Seinfeld you watched um, at all growing up. Uh, my family was more of a friends kind of household, but I do know of Seinfeld. Yeah, my family, my family was none. I liked Friends and Blaze's family was definitely Seinfeld. So, uh, you know, it keeps things interesting I in think, this house. I think we've all aged into becoming a Seinfeld family. Oh, back at, 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 in its prime, we were a Friends house. But now as time goes on, I'm liking Friends less and liking Seinfeld more. So, yeah, I would agree with that. But I like get the merits of it. But I'm not in like uh, like I'm not like a, a huge fanatic, so I don't know how much I would know based on what you're going to say next. Yeah, yeah. Um, okay, sorry. Can I like do a complete like 180 tangent here? Not tangent, just like a note yeah. because I was meant to say this at the beginning of the episode, and I feel like such an ass for not mentioning it because I was going to mention it last episode. Um, that I was just on an episode of Astonishing Legends, and I got to read like a personal story from my from my family. It's like an astral projection story, and I got to read it in their Christmas special. And I literally had it written down on this paper and I just went, oh, my God, I didn't mention it at the beginning of the episode. I got too wrapped up in my singing. Oh, my God. So complete side note that has nothing to do with Seinfeld. But I was going to say where we took a lot of turns there. I'm so sorry. I like how your excuse is you got wrapped up in your own singing. Like we we know (laughs) we know what happened. Don't worry. Oh, my God. I also got wrapped up in your singing. Yeah. Yeah. It happens. It's okay. Um, okay, anyway, but anyway, sorry. We'll, we'll also like, we'll mention it at the end of the episode too. We'll okay, okay. I just up. feel bad because I was like, shit. I, I told them I was going to mention it in this episode, and then I completely blanked. So, um, it, I'm really proud of it. So go listen to it. Okay, back so. to Seinfeld. Seinfeld. God damn anyway, it. <laughs> they're like, what a show is this? Okay. Whew. So everyone's got whiplash right now. I'm sweating a lot, so I don't know about <laughs> you guys, but that's where I stand. Um. So for Seinfeld fans, a detail about David Berkowitz working for the Postal Service is referenced in an episode called The Diplomats Club, where Kramer asks Newman to bring over his mailbag worth thousands of dollars as collateral for his gambling. Um, but the g- bag isn't any old mailbag. It actually belonged to David Berkowitz. Uh, oh. And then at one point, Newman even jokes about dogs speaking to him while he's on his mail route. So depending on how much you know about that story. Right. 
the rest of the story that will make sense later. But um, there is like a run. There was like a joke in an episode about he got a hold of David Berkowitz's original mailbag. Huh. Okay. Cool. So back to the real story. Uh, it was when Berkowitz returned from the army that he decided to look into his biological parents. He was both shocked and elated when he found out that his mother, Betty Falco, was still alive um, because sure. he had been living with this guilt for his entire life, basically. Wow. Can you imagine, like, now you are a – your formative years are over. Like, you have developed yeah. under the guise of you killed your mother, or, uh, like, yeah. uh, according to yourself. In your own psyche. Yeah. In your own psyche. That's what you've you've built up your identity as. And now, all of a sudden, like, it's too late to say never mind. Like, now you just have this information – but you, you grew up and turned into this person who believed this other yeah, thing. Yeah, you probably, like, internalized it so much. It's yeah. hard to, like, revert that. So um, I, I listened to an episode of Serial Killers, the podcast show, on – it was a two-parter. And they had, like, a voice actor reading a lot of his quotes, a lot of Berkowitz later quotes describing this. And he basically – I mean, just to paraphrase, he said something like, a lot of people thought it was, like, a, a really fraught and terrible reunion, but it was actually a really happy reunion when I oh, met okay. my mother – so just, I don't know, worth noting, I guess. Sure. Um, according to him, they had a happy reunion, but he eventually lost contact with his birth mother. Uh, he began, he also le- learned about his sister. Remember, he oh. his mom was raising a young girl when she got pregnant and okay. gave the baby up, but she still had the, so he had an older sister now at this point. Cool. Um, he began working a number of blue collar jobs. And after hearing about his, uh, what his mother called an illegitimate birth and how his father like basically didn't want him because he wasn't going to fit into the family. Um, He, this belief was growing in him that he was unwanted, not just by his own mother now, but by all women. He just started feeling like the world, specifically women were out to get him. And um, he, let's just say he lashed out about that. Mm -hmm. Mm -hmm. Mm -hmm. So uh, neighbors originally like, didn't really think much of Berkowitz. He wasn't like a huge character like some of these serial killers are like outwardly speaking um he kept to himself uh he was known to be odd like a friend remembered quote he used to laugh a lot by himself he'd roar and couldn't stop but he wouldn't tell you anything about it <laughs> that's like me on tiktok in the other room it is, it is like you oh don't worry about it i'm not gonna tell you what it is don't worry about it it's just i don't i don't know if I, you won't get it it's okay You're, <laughs> you, you, get it. you had to be there you had to be there in my tiktok you had no. to be on my couch in silence with me <laughs> Um, so apparently feeling isolated by the world around him, he became, uh, what you do, an arsonist. Oh, well, what else? You know how yeah. it is. Um, according to his meticulously kept diaries later found in his apartment, Berkowitz was responsible for around 1,500 <gasps> to 2,000 fires. That's almost one for every pound that the golem is. Oh, Wait a minute. my God. Can you imagine? Wow. Yeah. So he started most of them in Brooklyn before 1977. And as we've seen in the past, uh, this behavior pyromania can uh, often signal that something worse is coming sure um and i'd also like to add that this behavior started young uh like he started this when he was young it wasn't like oh he was in his 20s now and he also, decided to start fires like time out hang on i gotta do math on that how on earth do you be, how do you even find the time to do 1500 fires hang on <laughs> 1500 divided by 365 that means you have to do oh that's not too bad four a year 
Wait, what? Wait, no. Wait, that's, I did, if I that's literally, if you're 365 if you them, years old. <laughs> yeah, I, I heard it. I heard it. I heard it. That's if you're the age of a golem. Okay, so how old was he, like, by like at this time in his life? Like, around, like, 30 or something? No, <laughs> he was younger. Golem. <laughs> 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 okay, let's pretend he's, like, 30. Okay, so... No, he's definitely way younger than that. Like, um, 20? I think he's, like, 22. Okay, divided by 22. But then also we got to think, like, he probably didn't start the shit until he was, like, five, right? Um, I don't think he started fires till he was like a teenager. All right, so let's say let's say twelve. I loved fire at twelve. So let's say ten years. So that's a hundred fifty a year. So, yeah. Okay, so a hundred fifty now divided by twelve months. Yeah. Twelve and a half a month divided by four <laughs> weeks. You do like three a goddamn week every this week. This is like how I used to calculate how many dollars I had left to buy ramen <laughs> after my PA job. And it was always like negative eight. And I was like, oh. So literally he had to have been starting a fire for in a decade. He had to start a fire every other day, basically. Yeah. yeah. Holy so shit. Th- okay. So I think probably he would like set several at a time. I don't know. You know, you'd think like, like he would just like one in, in every mood. corner. One in every corner. Yeah. <laughs> I'm in a mood to set fires. I'm going to run to like. 10 abandoned buildings and set them on fire. I don't know. But he did. He wrote down every single one. So, like, they never would have attributed these fires to him. By, like, Um, fire number eight, I would have been so over logging that shit. I would have been, like... Yeah, that that takes a lot of... I I worked as a Lyft driver, and they were always, like, write down your your logs. And I found the log recently. It had two rides in it because I gave (laughs) up after two. I was like, this is too much work. This is not worth it. I kept driving, to be clear, but I stopped writing them down. I was like, meh. (laughs) <laughs> exactly. Like I'm not. I'm t- uh, just the thought sounds so tiring. Yes, it does. Uh, it's just a spiral notebook. I mean, <laughs> so they they that's how they figured out how many he had set. I assume not all of them like turned into a major blaze. I think he was just like setting little ones. I don't know. But so anywhere from fifteen hundred to two thousand fires. They were mostly in Brooklyn before seventy seven. Um, and according to his own accounts, uh, Berkowitz. Oh, I forgot to also mention that. Uh, coupled with the fire starting when he was young, he also liked to torture cockroaches, which is just like a really weird and disturbing thing. He would like try to drown them in glue and like pull off their leg. Like it's just, if you like, had I to, know if you had to torture something like at least it's a cockroach, but like also you really shouldn't be torturing anything. No, all. and it also just shows like a lack of mm. empathy or any, yeah. No, I like, like I fucking hate cockroaches. I, I know. First of all, I couldn't get close enough to fucking t- torture one. Yeah, but yeah, also, yeah. like, I, that's the, I just want them not near me. Yeah. Yeah. I, yeah. Yeah. Torturing anything is n- no bueno. It's not good. And it's like, if you're going to do that, who knows what else you're going to do? You know? Right. Yeah. Start with uh, cockroaches and with yeah. humans. That's how they, that's how it goes. That's, 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 the, sa- that's the saying. That's always, say. that's the wives' tale. So. According to his own accounts, uh, Berkowitz's first murder was on December 24th, Christmas Eve, 1975. Uh, He walked up behind 15-year-old high school sophomore Michelle Foreman and stabbed her in the back with a hunting knife. Fuck. That's, like, also a really – we've talked about this before, but that's a real gruesome way to kill someone. Like, it's – Yes. Like, if I had to kill someone, it would be, like, the cowardly way of, like, shooting them from miles away or something. Like, I could not, with my bare hands, thrust something into another life. Well, it's interesting. They've, like – so I also listened to an episode of True Crime all the time, and they were, like, you know, discussing, theorizing why – he switched from a hunting knife to a yeah. gun and they were saying like, it probably was like such a up close and personal thing. And then he never yeah. used a knife again to kill. He only oh, okay. used a gun. He was like, that was on. too intimate. Yeah. Yeah. Yeah, exactly. And like, 
I know they say this like disproportionately women use poison and right. other means like gun or I think so. Right. Women use poison and women. I The way I've always heard it in my head is that women are uh, more sneaky and thought out about it and like distance themselves from the situation versus yes. men being like on the scene doing there's the like action. strangulation stabbing yeah. like that's much more like yeah hands on basically exactly um anyway so he walked up behind 15 year old high school sophomore stabbed her in the back with a hunting knife she her injuries sent her to the hospital for seven days but she did survive um and then hours after that stabbing he attacked another woman and she's actually never been identified um he stabbed her repeatedly even in the head in the fucking head uh, how do you i don't even okay Ugh, the th- it's just sick. It's, it's just sick. hard for me to even imagine the head because, like, in my mind, there's no, like, in my head, it has to be, like, the knife would retract on itself because it's a skull. Like, it's hard, I know. It's hard for me to think you could stab through bone. Anyway. Yeah, so he, and it wasn't, like, the face. It was, like, the head, which is so <sighs> weird, you know? Jesus, that's really intense. Okay. Um, And so, to clarify, at this point, he was only 22. So, that's kind of why I gave that guesstimate. Sure. So, I'm not actually sure when the fire's began and started or ended but um the stabbings were his first murders according to him were when he was 22 so his next so those were the only two stabbings that he ever did as far as we know um so his next attack was six months later in the early morning hours of july 29th 1976 18 year old donna loria a young woman training to be a new york medic and 19 year old jody valenti a nursing student were sitting in jody's car at 1 a.m after being out at a disco hmm Donna opened the car door to leave and noticed a man quickly approaching the car. Startled, she said, now what is this? The man pulled a 44 caliber revolver from a paper bag he was holding. This is weird. Crouched down, braced one elbow on his knee, aimed his weapon with both hands and fired. Donna was struck by one bullet that killed her instantly. Jody was shot in her thigh and the third bullet missed both of them. The shooter then turned and qu- quickly walked away. That is very odd. The the crouching down and like setting up. So if, that's like the where we get back to like the marksmanship yeah. that he learned in the war or in the army. No, it makes total sense. It's just like it's so it's so creepy. First of all, I can't imagine anyone like fingers crossed. I'm never put in a situation like that where uh, you know someone could possibly point a gun at me. Yeah. But also, it's just like if that were to happen, the way I have envisioned it in my mind. At no point in any circumstance have I thought like, okay, so now they're going to set up. Now they're going to get done on one and then no. like they're going to do the wind up. It's like just extra eerie that like you're watching the intent happen before your eyes before like just like. Oh my God. It's that extra weird. So extra creepy. And like just like the. Like the wind up of it all. Yeah. There's like a formula and like a process. Yeah. It's uh, not like in my head, like if some, if I were to ever get hit with, with a bullet, I would think that it would happen so instantly that I wouldn't have time to process what's going on. But in that situation, like you're allowed to, think you're like through, watching like, it unfold. Yeah. You're like, Holy shit. I'm watching. Yeah. 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 Oh, I know. It makes it so much creepier, honestly, like even like resting his elbow on his yeah. knee. I mean, it's, it just adds such a creepy element to it. Um, so when uh, questioned by police, Jody said she didn't recognize the killer as someone she knew but she described him as a white male in his thirties with a fair complexion, about five foot eight weighing about 200 pounds or 91 kilograms. Um, his hair was short, dark and curly. And interestingly, Donna's father claimed to have seen a similar man sitting in a yellow car parked nearby. Mm. 
Neighbors gave corroborating reports to police that they had also seen an unfamiliar yellow car cruising the area for hours before the shooting. Weird. And now I'm thinking, if you're a fucking murderer, get a silver Toyota. Why are you driving around in a yellow car? Like, Well, that's why um, uh, SVU, every time they identify as like, oh, they're in like a black SUV. They're like, well, we're just never going to fucking find this guy then because yeah. everyone's got a black SUV. Can you imagine an episode where they're like, oh, lucky us. He's driving a yellow Volkswagen Beetle with like, with like eyebrows, pa- on, with- eyelashes on the <laughs> headlights or whatever the fuck people with, do. With paint and blood and just all of it spells out. I'm the murderer right in front of the, right on the <laughs> side says, of the car. It's me. <laughs> yeah. Mario. And you could, <laughs> here's my phone number. You can find me here. Yeah. That'd be really oh, convenient. Oh my God. I know. It's just like, wow. Okay. So this guy's like just trolling around in a yellow car. Um, so on October 23rd, 1976, Berkowitz struck again. So this now three months later or so. So it was about six months later. Now it's about or seven months later. Now it's about three months later. And as we go, as you can probably guess, the time periods get shorter and shorter. The intervals. Yes, 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 yes. So October 23rd, 1976, Berkowitz struck again, this time in Flushing, which is in Queens. Uh, 20-year-old Carl DeNaro and his and 21-year-old Rosemary Keenan were making out in their car. Ayo. Ayo. When suddenly the side window just shattered. Uh, Rosemary immediately started the car and drove back to the bar they had come from to call for help. Remember, they don't even have cell phones, so it's like... <laughs> God, I can't imagine. I know it sounds so millennial, but I'm like, oh my God, you have to like drive somewhere for help. Like you can't even. It, well, it's, it's especially wild because when I think of them back then, like the concept of a phone, of a cell phone wasn't even thought of. So it's not like they knew of an option, uh, of any other option. But yeah. for me, if I like time traveled to a time like that and then I was in trouble, I would have extra anxiety of like, I know a simpler way. Like I, I know a <laughs> <Come> way. Come <laughs> on, give me an iPhone. <laughs> or like having to call 911 with a rotary phone. Good night. like so long nine is the farthest away nine is the farthest away honestly i used to think about that all the time i was like why isn't it just like one 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 like truly why isn't it just one how come there's not like a special situation where you only have to press it once (laughs) oh boy and we're brilliant you and i listen they don't they don't call me uh the expert in user design for nothing that's correct they don't call you that period (laughs) Okay, so, so, uh, right, the window shatters, they rush back to the bar for help, um, and it wasn't until they, like, got help that they realized the window had been shattered because they'd been shot at. Like, they didn't even realize why the glass had shattered, because they didn't oh. see the sh- shooter. Um, although, they felt like a rock, like a rock hit the window or yeah, something. Yeah, yeah, they mm. thought maybe, like, something else, something had hit it, or, like, a rock, um, although, apparently, they then realized Carl had a bullet wound in his head. What? So I guess the adrenaline just like didn't catch up with them until they got there. I get it. I mean, I feel like I mean, there have been times where like I got really severely hurt and I told myself I was like, do not look because your adrenaline you, like takes over. I was like, once I look, I know how bad it is. And, yep. and I, I'm not going to look until like I'm already next to bandages and a doctor. But well, like, and you're, but yeah, but like it's never been bad enough where it was a literal bullet wound. So I feel sure. like. And if that were the case, my adrenaline wouldn't be able to kick in that intensely. I'd be like, no, like, even though I'm not looking at the wound, like, this one's pretty bad. I I can tell something's (laughs) wrong. I wonder, though, if, like, if the window shattered, maybe he thought he got hit by a rock. Like, who knows, like, what he thought maybe hit him, you know? Yeah, you're right. I don't know. But, like, because, like, why on earth would you think somebody was out right outside your car while you're making out with someone, like, 
I, I feel like your brain would just not process that. Only right you away. and I would because we have. If there, yeah, were, right, if there were true crime podcasts back then, like cell phones, uh, then, uh, you know, then people might be more scared at the time. Yeah, uh, probably no one would be safer, but we'd all be more scared. So great. That's fun for higher everybody. alert, higher alert. <laughs> um, OK, let's see. So both Carl and Rosemary survived the attack and neither of them saw the shooter. Police determined the bullets were 44 caliber, but they didn't initially draw a connection between this shooting and the previous one because they were occurring in two separate boroughs of mm. New York. Mm. So, I mean, obviously, like shootings in New York, it's not immediate that you would like piece two together. You know? Right, right. Um, however, the type of gun was becoming a trademark for David Berkowitz. So barely a month after the attack on Carl and Rosemary, shortly after midnight on November 27th, 1976, 17 year old Donna DeMassey, a senior at Martin Van Buren High School and 18 year old Joanne Lomino, a recent graduate of the same school, were sitting on Joanne's porch in Belrose, Queens after a night out. As they talked, a man approached them dressed in military fatigues. Uh, he began to ask them for directions in this like strange high pitched voice Weird. Uh, before taking out a revolver and just like shooting them <gasps> on the spot. Like oh as they started to give him directions. That's like, um, then why do you, why'd you even take the time to ask? Like, it's why, so bizarre. Why didn't you just, it, there's, it says something about like how this guy seems to want to get close enough to look people in the eye first, because like, yeah, you would think if you just wanted to kill them, like you could have done it when you spotted them from across the block, you know? Yeah. And he, and he had a thing, quote unquote, for, for women with, or girls or women with dark, long hair. And so. That's why my mom know. was terrified. She was I like. Know. I she, thought of that <laughs> when you said Linda. I was like, well, yep. She was like, I gotta go. She, I think uh, a few of her friends had like blonde wigs in their car or something. I remember. Yeah, there are like interviews where people are like, people are cutting their hair off. They're putting buns. Or like dying their hair or something. Or dying just, their hair. Just to like not have. Apparently hair dye like sales went through the roof in yeah, New York City. Yeah. For that reason. Very weird. Very wild. Very wild. Um, so he shot them. They both fell injured and the shooter ran away, but not before firing several shots blankly into the apartment building, like what? not aiming for them, but just like out of like excitement or exhilaration. He just kept shooting. Um, miraculously, both survived. Uh, but what? Joanne was. I know. I know. That's the other weird thing. A lot of people end up. Sur- not a lot, but like a few people end up surviving. Luckily, like for a marksman, he was pretty bad at it. I know. Like- that's what that's what kind of gets me, too, is I'm like. Huh. I thought you were, you know. Does he ever make a statement like he wanted these people to die? Or is it that he just wanted to hurt them? Because maybe if he's like, no, he actually made a statement that he didn't ever want to hurt anybody. He only wanted to kill them. So like the opposite. (laughs) Okay. Got it. Yeah. Okay. Got it. Um, Yeah. So uh, both survived, but Joanne was paralyzed from the waist down and then suffered from paraplegia. So still a rough a rough go. A rough outcome. Um, police were able to determine that the bullets were, again, from an unknown 44 caliber gun. So on January 30th, 1977, only about two months later, 2016, sorry, 2016, Jesus, 26-year-old Christine Freund and her boyfriend of seven years, 30-year-old John Deal, who was planning to propose to her two weeks later on Valentine's oh, Day. Jesus, why did you have to say that? I know. They were sitting in John's car in Queens after having gone to see Rocky in theaters. And suddenly, shots were fired into the car. John suffered minor injuries, but Christine died of her injuries at the hospital, and neither of the victims ever saw the shooter. Um, After this shooting, police finally, like, 
took all of these cases and publicly announced that they were connected. Um, they observed that all the shootings involved a 44 caliber gun and he was therefore now called the 44 caliber killer. And that was like okay. his initial moniker. Sure. Uh, and they told the public that the shooter seemed to target young women with long, dark hair. So when the composite sketches from the various attacks were released, uh, NYPD officials originally noted that they were likely ser- searching for multiple shooters. So mm. oddly enough, like even though the cases were connected, the composite sketches that they made ended up looking like two different people. Oh. So we'll get into that, but it's just uh, it's it's something to note, I okay. guess. Okay. So at this point, uh, the front of the New York, this became like, as you said, a colossal circus. People were terrified. I mean, this man was terrorizing New York City um, and he was striking like in different boroughs. It wasn't like he was isolated to one spot. No one was safe. Okay. The front page of the New York Post read, no one is safe. (laughs) Jesus. Okay. (laughs) Maybe you were, maybe you were there in a past life with Linda. Maybe. I was just watching out for her, making sure she dyed her hair blonde or something. <laughs> I was just the little devil on her shoulder being like, you know it would be a cool idea right now. And it was just... Shave for- your head. <laughs> just shave your head! <laughs> <laughs> My mom did shave her head in the 70s and 80s, so hey, maybe. that surprises me 0%. Yeah. Right. <laughs> it was for a Ray-Ban, uh, a Ray-Ban ad in a magazine. Um, Every time we speak, I have listen. at least 10 questions. About Every time I saying. speak to my mother, I'm like, what? So don't worry. It's not just you. Um, and then I ask her, do you know what a golem is? And she goes, yes. And I'm like, well, this is okay. The, the time where I need you to elaborate yeah, versus, exactly. versus the time I wanted to hear nothing at all. Uh, versus the time my friends are over and I'm 13 and I really don't want to know about how you model for <laughs> Ray-Ban. Okay, thanks. <laughs> oh, Dr. Mom. Okay. So... The police tip line had basically, and this is NYPD, had never seen anything like it. They were receiving 100 calls an hour, according to Time. Um, A police official told the magazine, women are naming their husbands, their ex-boyfriends. People are calling in about their coworkers, uh, like saying, it's him. I think it's my husband or my coworker. I like how everyone was like on top of it, though. They're like, we are ratting every man out in this city. I know. I don't care. Even the one I'm married to and sleeping next to. Like, yikes. (laughs) Women were advised to either get shorter haircuts, bleach their hair, or wear it in a ponytail. Mm Mm-hmm. Parents also insisted their daughters have their dates at home, which is very convenient. Dad should be like, yeah. why don't you just have your date here in the living room where your mother and I can watch? Yeah. Also very topical for, you know, as we're in quarantine of like. Yes, true. Like, okay. Well, you know what? It's been done before, I guess. <laughs> okay. As you were saying that earlier about like going out and like avoiding. I, I don't know. I was just thinking to myself like, huh, I wonder if serial killers that attack people outside are like shit like i wonder what the what the numbers are so much easier i wonder what the stats would look like in terms of like crime right now when it comes to like public violence like how far the numbers have decreased or if they've stayed the same in places where people aren't taking it seriously or like if home invasions are like more on the up and up or like i'd like to see be less common because people are home right i feel like they're like i wonder just violence statistics right now you know what'd be really sad though is domestic violence right now well, that actually has been statistically proven to have gone up, unfortunately. Yeah. So that one, we definitely know. I mean, you make a good point about home invasions because, like, you can't. It's harder to rob somebody when they're upstairs. But like, what if? But what if it's like a like a serial killer who planned on hurting you anyway? Because it could be like a night stalker situation where they don't they want you at home. Sure. So you'd you have know? to like differentiate between just like a burglary and like 
an assault or murder. Yeah. <laughs> yeah, an assault or murder. Exactly. Hopefully the, the answer is, is just zero across the board. But like, let's it would, just go with zero. I can't my brain. Um, it's too early. It would for be this. an interesting, comprehensive uh, study. So. Somebody, Eva, can you figure that out real quick? Eva, okay. can you get us a comprehensive study? Can you actually do all of the research and then let us know the data? Thank you. Yeah, but just wear a mask. Okay, thanks. All right. <laughs> just um, knock on every single person's door in the country. Wear a mask. You'll be fine. Man, we're being real aggressive toward Eva today. Her, she's just paper paper shards and pencil shavings are flying off the table <laughs> right now. Just... Poor Eva. <sighs> um, okay, so they okay, so parents were like, "Have your dates at home. How fun!" Okay, mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. Uh, some girls decided to dress in baggy clothing or skip dating altogether until cops caught the killer. Fair, and then a yeah, f- definitely fair. A month and a half later, on March 8th, 1977, Columbia University student Virginia Voskarichian was walking home from class when she was confronted by an armed man. In an effort to defend herself, she pulled her textbook over her face, but the bullet penetrated the textbook and struck her head, killing her. Fuck. So she actually just lived one block away from Christine Freund, who had also died uh, previously. Did that help at least? They could triangulate him a little bit? Um, you know what? I'm not sure. Probably not if he's still just all over the goddamn place. It seems like he's still kind of all over the place. I because I don't have a great grasp of geography, period. No? And definitely not of need. <laughs> no, it surprises you to know. I, I mean, I even told people I lived in the wrong state for the last six months. So <laughs> um, but so I don't know. I even visited Columbia because I don't know. My dad, I guess, thought I could get in. LOL. Um spoiler alert, I didn't. But so I once went to Columbia on like a tour, but I have no idea where it is. And he lived in Yonkers. Uh-huh. So wherever Yonkers is in relation to Columbia University is where this shooting took place. And But it says she lived a block away from Christine. So I don't know okay. where she lived. Anyway, it's all very convoluted. But it is a weird... It's either a weird coincidence or it has to do with like his triangulation. Yeah. Sure. So and then the following month on April 16th, 1977 at 3 a.m., uh, a 20-year-old t- tow truck driver named Alexander Esau and an 18-year-old model and actress Jodina Soriani were hanging out in their car only a few blocks from the scene of the Jody and Donna shooting. So maybe he had, like, pockets of areas mm. that he was targeting. Uh, when they were both shot twice. Uh, both died, unfortunately, before they could talk to police. But investigators determined that they were killed by the same suspect in the other sh- shootings with the same 44 caliber firearm. Mm. Um, at the crime scene, though, there was something new. Oh, what? A new twist to the MO. They found a handwritten letter oh, shit. addressed to the captain of the NYPD, Joe Borelli. <sighs> okay. Now, I'm going to read you this letter. And it is like yonk, bon- bon- yonkers bonkers. Yonkers bonkers, <laughs> if you will. It's uh, next level. And there's a lot of spelling. There are a lot of spelling mistakes. For example... He spells women, Weemon, W-E-M-O-N. So it it's all over the place. But just bear with me while I try to read this to you. It's like you're trying to morph it into the word lemon. It sounds like, like demon, lemon, yeah. Weemon, well, yeah, all of it. Weemon, woman. Yonkers, bockers. Okay. I am deeply hurt by your calling me a woman hater. I am not, but I am a monster. I am the son of Sam. I am a little brat. When Father Sam gets drunk, he gets mean. He beats his family. Sometimes he ties me up to the back of the house. Other times he locks me in the garage. Sam loves to drink blood. Go out and kill, commands Father Sam. 
this sounds like a terrible Dr. Seuss book. <laughs> I'm realizing the cadence. Go out and kill, says Father Sam. Yeah, Sam I am. It's like, Sam I am. Oh, God. He is saying I am Sam. I, oh, I no. will not drink your blood, Sam I am, or whatever. <laughs> I will not murder people on your behalf. Okay. I will not do it with a draft. Oh my god! Only with a forty-four caliber rifle. Okay. Yikes! Go out and kill, commands Father Sam. Behind our house, some rest, mostly young, raped and slaughtered. Their blood drained, just bones now. Papa Sam keeps me locked in the attic. I can't get out, but I look out the attic window and watch the world go by. I feel like an outsider. I am on a different wavelength than everybody else, programmed to kill. However, to stop me, you must kill me. Attention, all police. Shoot me first. Shoot to kill or else. Keep out of my way or you will die. Papa Sam is old now. He needs some blood to preserve his youth. He has had too many heart attacks. Too many attacks. Oh, sorry. Too many heart attacks. Ugh. Me hoot. It hurts, sonny boy. I miss my pretty princess most of all. She's resting in our lady's house, but I'll see her soon. I am the master, Beelzebub, the chubby behemoth. I love to hunt, prowling the streets, looking for fair game, tasty meat. The women of Queens are prettiest of all. I must be the water they drink. I live for the hum, my life, blood for Papa. Mr. Borelli, sir, I don't want to kill anymore. No, sir, no more, but I must. Honor thy father. I want to make love to the world. I love people. I don't belong on earth. Return me to Yahoo's. To the people of Queens, I love you. And I want to wish all of you a happy Easter. May God bless you in this life and in the next. And for now, I say goodbye and good night. Police, let me haunt you with these words. I'll be back. I'll be back to be interpreted as bang, 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 bank, bang. Ugh, yours in murder, Mr. Monster. <laughs> oh, I'm sorry. That gave me a headache. So I, I just associated halfway through there. Yeah, um, I think everyone, I think, I think he I, did. I think if anyone were watching the YouTube channel and that were on my face the whole time, at some point my eyes deadened. I think it I, definitely was one of those slow zooms on your face the uh, entire time. <laughs> I, I, I checked out. I, I tried and I remember hearing Happy Easter and my brain was like, shh. I think like, <laughs> no, no, I no. think that's one of the ones where that that lady was saying her husband complains about my laughter that like if you're zoning out while you're like doing something at work and you like suddenly hear like a bang there, bang a happy Easter you're like wait what are they talking about I that was exactly I just heard like I mean there I I I think the first half that I really was trying to process what you were talking about and then you. You had me at, like, it, chubby behemoth, and I was like, I, I'm out. I can't. <laughs> Goodbye. I can't figure this out. What did you say out. last time? I am Santa. Goodbye. <laughs> I am Santa. Goodbye now. <laughs> oh, my God. I, like, this whole, I, he even wrote, ugh, exclamation point. I'm like, yeah, ugh, is how I so, feel, too. okay, it started off almost like it was, like, a diary entry about, like, yeah. being, like, like, with an abusive father or something. Yeah. Then the dad also drinks your blood, and then now like the dad's kind of dying, and also now you need to go get him blood, but he's had heart uh-huh. attacks. Ugh. And then <laughs> I, I got. Oh, by the way, happy Easter. Before I forget. P.S. <laughs> the bunny rabbit says hi. Um, yeah, I don't know. It's I don't know. I'm, I'm, I'm the lost. Easter bunny. Goodbye now. I'm, the, <laughs> I'm Santa. Hello. I'm the Easter bunny. Goodbye. Um, There's a lot of things happening. Uh, yours and murder, Mister Monster. So. I don't know where to, I, should I try to start or begin? I think I should no, just. No, I think we should just not even try because it just gets worse and weirder. Did anyone ever try to like decode it or did they read it one time and they were There's like, not okay, really this is. anything to decode, I think. Like, okay. I'll get into it more, but basically I, uh, what, what they did get from this is 
son of Sam. He he calls himself the son I Sam. am the son of Sam. Yeah. And so instead of 44 caliber killer, now they he gave himself his own moniker. Which is like, so yeah, now, kind of like like really awful that they were like, oh, I'm so sorry. I like it's like it is weird that that they took like they yeah. the letter is so like they, you they, and it sounds very much like if he were like actually those aren't my pronouns and they went oh uh, oh okay so like from now on we we all call you this got it it's right, so it's right, like, right. you're maybe, still going to hell but I guess I'll respect your your name your name but also like you're a serial killer and like we are you already got a name I don't want to I don't want to even like give you the 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 satisfaction of having yeah. a name you picked yeah. Well, he later on says that he doesn't want the name, so don't worry about it. He gets <sighs> this he gets man can't make up his mind. Okay, no, he cannot. So in the letter, obviously, Berkowitz refers to himself as son of Sam. He expresses his desire to continue his shooting sprees, even though he quote doesn't want to. Um, a police task formed at this point. Officers recruited psychiatrists to help them come up with a profile. Criminal minds, anybody? Okay. <laughs> BAU. All right. Spencer Reed. No. All right. Just me. Yeah. Anyway. There. After consulting, <laughs> thank you. After consulting with several psychiatrists, police re- uh, released a psychological profile of their suspect. He was described as neurotic and probably suffering from paranoid schizophrenia, and believed himself to be a victim of demonic possession. And mm. quite frankly, they were spot on. Really? Okay. So, seventy detectives worked the case full time, starting in April 1977. Police volunteered to help on their days off, but there were really, like, no real clues or breaks in the case. Um, and, like, witness descriptions were basically a man in his 20s with medium build. And, like, it just was really hard to pin that down uh, in a place like New York, especially. Sure, yeah. So then on June 26th, that's, uh, like, two months later, uh, there was another shooting. 20-year-old Sal Lupo and 17-year-old Judy Placido had left a discotheque in Queens, and they were sitting in their car when Judy said... This son of Sam is really scary. The way that guy comes out of nowhere, you never know where he'll hit next. And Moments just, later. Shut the fuck up. That's so creepy. I know. I'd, I have goose cam right now. And uh, it's so horrifying. Moments later, three gunshots blasted through the car. And obviously, it's not like he knew they were talking about him. The windows were closed. Were like, those her last words? That is well, horrific. <laughs> Well, uh, both were struck, but neither was injured seriously. So it was not their last words, but it was probably the words that were seared into their nightmares for the rest of time. Definitely the words like, I mean, I've never heard of stronger manifestation ever. Like, I I mean, I know even when you say, oh, I can't believe like, you know, you have no idea where he'd be. You still think in that moment, but he's not here. Like, you know, like, yeah, right. Like, why would you? The odds are so outrageous yeah yeah Hmm. so it's just so wild like the guy just shows up and as you're saying wow this guy just shows up and shoots them so they they were injured but they neither of them died sal ran back to the club for help uh police offered composite sketches of the suspects in the shootings based in part on the testimony of people who had survived the shootings as well as witnesses but again there were these two separate images that were coming up like the dark-haired man and then somebody else Although publicly, police were insisting that there was only a single suspect being sought. Um, So one sketch and description roughly matched Berkowitz. So medium height, slightly pudgy with hair that was short, dark and curly. But another suspect was reported to be quite different. A taller and slimmer man, a hippie sort with jaw length hair that was either light brown or dark blonde. Mm. So now police are thinking maybe it is the same guy, but he's wearing a wig. Uh Uh-huh. Yep. Uh Uh-huh. Yep. 
So on May 30th, 1977, columnist Jimmy Breslin of the New York Daily received a handwritten letter from the son of Sam. What does this one say? A lot. A lot of weird shit. It's going to be like, uh, hi, I'm the St. Patrick's Day leprechaun. Goodbye now. (laughs) Happy Flag Day, before I forget. It's Arbor Um, Day. Uh, Let me tell you all about (laughs) trauma that I'm not really sure exists. But also, I'm a chubby chubby behemoth. Do you get it? That's the only thing you need to know. (laughs) So, okay, basically, the son of Sam is a huge fan of this columnist, which must be the worst compliment ever. Just saying. Right. Um, So the letter read, Hello from the gutters of NYC, which are filled with dog manure, vomit, stale wine, urine, and blood. Hello from the sewers of NYC, which swallow up these delicacies when they are washed away by the sweeper trucks. Hello from the cracks in the sidewalks of NYC and from the ants that dwell in these cracks and feed in the dried blood of the dead that have settled into the cracks. Then the writer said he was a fan of uh, Jimmy Breslin, noting, JB, I also want to tell you that I read your column daily and find it quite informative. Oh, God. By the way, everything up before that, like, very wonderful compliment, uh, you could have read any of that uh, as Zach Bagans, just so we're clear. Oh, yeah. Oh, I I regret it. Okay, I'll read this part then. Yeah. Ominously, the writer added, what will you have for July 29th? Which ominously was the one-year anniversary of the Son of Sam's first shooting and was quickly approaching. Ugh. So... A week later, after consulting with police, obviously he like sent this letter to police and they withheld portions of the letter, but they published some of it, uh, urging the killer to turn himself into police. And he was later quoted as saying he actually, uh, Breslin, sorry, was later quoted as saying he actually had admiration for the son of Sam's writing style. Uh, He said, quote, I remember when I read it, I said, this guy could take my place with the column. He had that big city beat to his writing. It was sensational. That big city beat. That's that's all you need. That's all you need. They did note that, like, compared to the first letter, which was, like, so all over, like, the sentences didn't even make sense. Like, this one was actually coherent and, like, what, like, thought, like, there were thoughts. Yeah, he was, he was really trying. He was like, that first one, I didn't, it wasn't my best work. Let me. It was like a rough draft. Let me really judge it up. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Yeah, it was like, these were fully formed thoughts. Um, So it was a little bit odd that they were so different. Um, So despite Breslin's advice to stop killing, uh, Berkowitz didn't listen. What a shocker. And Uh he killed again uh, just the day after July, uh, after the anniversary, July 30th, 1977. Uh, police set up a sizable dragnet because they were expecting him to attack right on that day sure or like around that day um and so like around the queen or sorry around queens and the bronx um however this time the son of sam struck in brooklyn so oops Whoopsies. all over the place so stacy moskowitz age 20 and robert violante age 20 um in case you're wondering if they sound familiar they are the uh the couple from my little intro uh-huh. story. Yep. So Stacy and Bobby uh, were parked under a street lamp on their first date, making out and they were kissing when suddenly a man approached within three feet of the passenger side window shot in the car, shooting both of them in the head. Stacy died tragically. And she actually would become the only blonde victim of the son of Sam. Ah. Interestingly enough. And although Robert survived, like I said earlier, he lost one eye. And uh, although no one knew it at the time, Stacy Moskowitz and Robert Violante or Bobby would be the son of Sam's final victims. Wow. Okay. And so that's why when I read that little intro at the beginning, I mentioned that there had been a witness this time who had I seen see. 
the parking ticket. Great story. Look at my that's that's my best friend right there. Holy <laughs> shit! After the after that, the Grinch, I'm like, I need to zhuzh things up a little bit. Are, are these? Are you submitting these for like the Pulitzer or something? I'm confused. <laughs> yeah, I'm submitting a story about the son of Santa, the Pulitzer, and you know, and also the Grinch, but posing him as a and a famed also, criminal. To, to, to Jimmy Breslin, my favorite columnist. Okay. <laughs> JB! <laughs> JB, I just want you to know I'm such a fan. Okay. Um, so that evening, Cecilia Davis, who lived near the crime scene, saw a man remove a parking ticket from his yellow Ford Galaxy, uh-huh. which had been parked too near a fire hydrant. So that was clearly his undoing. She saw this man only a few minutes before the shooting, so she contacted police, who determined that... So they were like, okay, yellow cars... In the Bronx, uh-huh. who got parking tickets for being by a fire hydrant. Like, yes. we can narrow this down. For sure. So they figured out it was Berkowitz. And they thought, hey, this Berkowitz guy, he's probably an important witness. He might have seen what happened oh, my God. here at this shooting. <laughs> oh, my God. <laughs> Which, like, why would you immediately go, like, oh, he's the murderer. He got a parking ticket nearby, you know? But she was like, well, I guess I'll point out something odd that I saw. So thank God I, she did. I, yeah, true. See something, say something. Um, so they were like, so they called Yonkers, which is 12 miles north of Manhattan, says the Internet. Okay. And asked the police for some help tracking him down. So uh, a sergeant named Mike Novotny was at the Yonkers Police Department, and he said they actually had their own separate suspicions about Berkowitz in connection with other strange crimes in Yonkers. Uh, crimes that they say referen- were referenced in one of the Son of Sam letters. So to the shock of the NYPD, they told NYC detective uh what's his name again well i already lost it sorry okay they told the N- the N- the nypd detective um that berkowitz might not be just a witness but might actually be the son of sam uh-huh. and they're like aha okay we misread the room but yeah. let's like regroup face first into the point yeah <laughs> yeah yeah yeah. thank you so much for that update yonkers yep. Uh, so when they investigated his car parked on so they find his car it's parked on the street outside his apartment uh, police find a rifle in the backseat. They search the vehicle, find find a 44 caliber bulldog pistol, along with maps of the crime scenes and a letter to Sergeant Dowd of the Omega Task Force. So like bingo, bango. They wow. literally have every piece of this guy's crimes in one place. It really like z- like zero to 100. On, yes. In, in terms of imagine <laughs> like missing your shift at the police department that yeah. day. And you're like, what the hell you're like, happened? You're like, I just slept in. My wife and I took a day off and slept in. And you wake up for coffee and you're like, whoa. Yeah. <laughs> oh, my God. Um, so it, they waited several hours outside for him to leave his apartment building. And when he did, he was immediately arrested. He didn't like fight or anything. The date was August 10th, 1977. And it was 11 days after his final murder. His first words upon arrest were reported to be, what took you so long? Ugh, gross. It's still so smug and arrogant. So creepy. Police searched his apartment and found it in disarray with occult graffiti on the walls. According to a Time article, the windows were covered by sheets to keep neighbors from seeing in. Pornographic magazines were strewn near the bed. One large hole had been knocked in a wall with an arrow pointing to it and a puzzling hand-printed message that read, Hi, my name is Mr. Williams, and I live in this hole. <laughs> I'm sorry. <laughs> hmm. That's it's just, like, so odd. That's the... Uh, 
Hmm. Okay. Who pulled who pulled the short straw to have to look in that hole, by the way? <laughs> who pulled the shorter straw to stick their hand in the hole? <laughs> I feel like that's like when you personify lemon too far. That's how I'll know. When you've like when you <laughs> when make he- when you make little text bubbles and like you're like this he is lives in the walls of my house. Yeah, exactly. Yeah, 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 yeah. Um, also on the wall was another irrational declaration that said, I have several children who I'm turning into killers. Wait till they grow up. Ew. They also found a diary wherein Berkowitz took credit for dozens of arsons uh, throughout the New York area. Later counted up to be, you know, three a week for 10 years. Yeah, three a week for 10 years, if our math is correct, which is probably not. Uh, And when Berkowitz was exiting the apartment, arresting officer detective Falotico held a gun to him and said, now that I've got you, who have I got? Berkowitz responded, you know, Uh, the detective said, no, I don't. You tell me. Berkowitz turned his head and said, I'm Sam. What? Also, it it (laughs) throws me because like he's been calling himself son of Sam and now he's calling himself Sam. And now I'm like, I know, right? He's like, like elevated. Family tree wise, I'm like, what is going on? Maybe here? Sam Jr. Are you oh ha huh, ha. Huh. I don't Intr- know though. Anyway, I'm like, are you the one that drinks blood or the one that gets blood for the one who or, drinks blood? Or I mean, this is far fetched, but hear me out. Maybe he has paranoid schizophrenia and Bingo. Okay, that checks out. The, that, I mean, maybe. Maybe that's yeah, the where solution. Did, did do we ever find out where the name Sam even fucking came from? Well, I'll just tell you what he says, uh, and you can decide if if any of it makes any sense to you. Excellent. So (laughs) Berkowitz quickly confessed to the shootings. Uh, He expressed an interest in pleading guilty in exchange for receiving life imprisonment rather than facing the death penalty. Um, He was only questioned for about 30 minutes and confessed to all the Son of Sam killings. Uh, During questioning, he told a bizarre tale that seemed to demand an insanity defense. He said the Sam mentioned in the first letter was one Sam Carr a former neighbor of his. Berkowitz claimed that Sam Carr's dog, Harvey, was possessed by an ancient demon and that it issued commands to Berkowitz to kill. Okay. So that's Sam. Okay. I see. Yeah. Okay, next page. Um, Okay, next. Now, I want to tell you in advance, there's some dog cruelty, but it's not fatal. So... Just just a warning. Berkowitz admitted to shooting the dog on April 29th uh, in an attempt to kill it. But thankfully, the owner brought it to the vet and he survived. Um, He claimed that his aim as a professional marksman was spoiled due to supernatural interference. So that could also be why he thinks he didn't kill all of his victims. So every... Every single time that they all survived, they, uh, it was a ghost, a ghost like pushed him out of the way. Yeah. Right. Bingo. Okay. Got it. Got it. Got it. Yeah. Yeah. You get it. Um, according to journalist Maury Terry's book, The Ultimate Evil, during his sentencing, Berkowitz repeatedly chanted, Stacy was a whore at a quiet though audible volume. And he was referring presumably to his final victim, Stacy Moskowitz. Uh, and I believe her family was in the courtroom. So (sighs) it, it, it created like this, this real uproar in the courtroom. Um, court was adjourned. Ultimately, he was sentenced on June 12th, 1978 to six life sentences in prison for the killings, uh, making his maximum term some 365 years behind bars, which is weird. Cause earlier, you, Ooh, it just got goose cam. Cause earlier you did the math of 365 years huh. and how many, uh, shots or how many fires that would be by the way he would have done four fires for every year he was in jail now okay there you go all we, right there you go it, it ends up pulling pulling itself together <laughs> i was like that's odd it was um, very weird 
He later claimed that the Hall & Oates song Rich Girl motivated his murders. So Oh, what a shame because that's such a great fucking song. It is a great song. Now I don't want to listen to it. Uh, Hall & Oates are probably like, yo, back off. Like that's Yeah, they're like, really? Please don't it's ruin like, our song. It's like the columnist who's like, thanks, but like, I didn't really want to be It's like if this. someone said that they listen to our podcast when they're like, killing people i'd be like okay yo you gotta not say that like promo you got it all wrong pr wise not a cute look for us like can you yeah, not drag us to, in like, hire a whole pr team <laughs> also I don't can you not listen to our show anymore thank you also like yikes but please leave a five-star rating before you leave thank right, you yeah, yeah just check out uh kindly just you know with, with <laughs> grace with grace with gr- ultimate grace mm-hmm. um so berkowitz survived at least one attempt on his life by a fellow inmate while in prison um his behavior reportedly earned him the nickname of david berserkowitz which okay i find somewhat clever i'm not gonna lie um yeah. it's, it's I mean, nicer it's a- than a lot of sh- prison nicknames i've heard so no i i mean at least it's it makes like a it's a nice it's a good pl- pun. It's a good pun. I'll say that yeah. for sure as someone who appreciates a pun they found quite a way to put two words together I would agree with that. Yes. Yeah. Like, like, uh, uh, like, uh, hmm. I don't know. Cineprog. Oh, like, I guess what's one, one example of a perfect pun that I can think of. Yes, it would be Cineprog. How uh-huh. strange that you and I both thought that that is the only pun that lives up to the Berserkerwitz. That's, you know what? I like how we both had a pun. That's where I'm going to Level of it. skill. Yeah. <laughs> um, in 79, there was an attack on his life. Someone slashed his throat like really brutally, I guess, uh, according to True Crime all the time. Now, if you see him in interviews, like he has like a huge scar on his throat from where he was slashed. Um, he refused to rat out the guy who cut his throat, but um, he has claimed that it was directed by his former cult, which oh. like how much of this is true, I right. don't know. Berkowitz claimed that he did not act alone in the killings. He says he was part of a part of an occult group that sacrificed animals to Satan and ran a child pornography racket. There's really no proof of that. Uh, Berkowitz also doesn't help. Doesn't make it better. No, it does not help. No, no. Um, Berkowitz also claims that he is not the son of Sam Shooter, but merely one of the lookout men for the son of Sam Shooter, and that there were multiple other people involved. So now he's just kind of saying, "Oh, it's not me." It's all these other people. I'm Sam, and I'll confess everything in 30 minutes or less. Yep. But uh, but I'm not son of Sam. So. But also not. You get it, right? Yep. Okay. Uh, Berkowitz now describes himself as a born-again Christian and says that his obsession with pornography made a pl- played a major role in the murders, I guess, according, I guess alongside Hall and Oates. I don't know. Uh, he sent a letter to New York Governor George Pataki asking that his parole hearing be canceled stating, I can give you no good reason why I should even be considered for parole. So he really is like, I'm in here and I don't so, have a good so reason to when, get out. So I like rolled my eyes very heavily when you said he became a born-again Christian. So was it like a like a stunt or did he does he legitimately think he's like completely repented here's the thing there is no way to know i think i mean my personal opinion there's no way to know with a person like this what is the truth what is not i mean the number of stories the number of like how mental illness has played a factor it's just like impossible to know well like also like did they in i don't know if you know this but in jail like they would they medicate him like was he oh i don't know if he i don't know if he's medicated um he was uh diagnosed with schizophrenia i do know that um so i feel like i was gonna say like maybe he legitimately is trying to turn a new leaf but like if he like if they're not medicating him or if he's not in therapy like then i guess i'm just not totally gonna trust whatever he's saying so yeah i'm not i'm not positive and like obviously i want to make it clear here that (laughs) 
schizophrenia is not a, uh, you know, a, like a trait of a murderer it is not by no means what I'm saying, but obviously I think that diagnosis had something to do with like a lot of the erratic behavior. It had initial so clay forth. to it at the very least. Yeah. Yeah. Like it had something to do with it, but obviously it's like, I mean, this is a very obvious statement, but not everyone with schizophrenia is a dangerous sure. person and yes. that kind of thing. I just want to be clear that, that that's the case. This one sounds um, like he was not um, doing anything to treat uh, his situation though. No, and I mean, he also clearly showed signs as a child of other pretty severe issues. Like, yeah. uh, I believe he was also diagnosed with psychosis. I mean, he was torturing bugs. And that also, by the way, the animal cruelty is, uh, I learned this from the Serial Killers podcast, animal cruelty is not um, associated with uh, schizophrenia at all. So, so oh. that was a completely cool. separate thing. So that could have just been like a mix of many mental illnesses just like manifesting in a horrible horrible way yikes just a a melting pot of uh issues yeah yeah which i feel like we see a lot with with these like really well-known serial killers like it's a combination of like their upbringing their a a head injury injury. a lot of of, a lot of things things. not being taken care of or like uh, maintained or even just like bad luck you know i mean i think in some instances like there was no way to take care of there wasn't a good way maybe to take care of certain illnesses or yeah. they didn't understand mental illness or whatever. So yeah, no, I agree. I think uh, it was just, he was cut out for, for a bad, a bad, uh, didn't get a, a uh, didn't get a very delightful deck, uh, a delightful hand. Yes. When he That's started a great out. way to put it. Yes. Um, so anyway, all of this aside, uh, he now says he is a born again Christian. Um, he's very adamant about it. He also asks now to be known as the son of hope instead of the son of Sam, okay. uh, because of his new outlook on life in June, 2004, he was denied in his second parole hearing after he stated he did not want a parole hearing. Um, the board saw that he had a good record in prison programs, but decided that the brutality of his crimes called for him to stay imprisoned, obviously. Uh, Berkowitz is very involved in prison ministry and regularly counsels troubled inmates. And one major side effect of his murder spree were the son of Sam laws, which I find really interesting. I never really thought about. And uh, the first of these laws was enacted in the state of New York after rampant speculation about publishers potentially offering Berkowitz large sums of money in exchange for his life story. Wow. Um, and they were afraid that he would like make millions from telling his story right um and so they they quickly enacted a new law uh they called it the son of sam laws and it authorized the state to seize all money earned from such a deal from a criminal for five years with intentions to use the seized money to compensate victims oh wow okay yeah unfortunately the supreme court declared those laws unconstitutional in 1991 i guess there's like some gray area there um but i thought that was very interesting um, last couple of things here. As of 2005, Berkowitz has written a series of memoirs, which he plans to publish despite outrage from the family members of his victims and victims' rights advocates. Um, he has devoted his publishing efforts to bringing in funds for the victims' families. But then again, if they're asking you to please not publish them. Right. I don't think it's a good, like, they're asking you not to do it. So saying, well, here, I'll give you the, the proceeds is like. Still a slap in the face, in my opinion. Um, So Berkowitz can now be seen, uh, portrayed by Oliver Cooper in season two of Mindhunter, a.k.a. one of my favorite shows of all time. Check it out. Uh, And Berkowitz had 
basically he I mean as you said with your mom like it was one of those things you just remember if you were there or if you were in that time period um with the killing spree and it wasn't you know I I hate to say that many people but you know it wasn't like a Ted Bundy level of but but just like the his letters, like the terror. I mean, the, it's like notorious. Like it's like a super, super duper. I mean, yeah. My mom always told me too, like with, um, she remembers a part of the DC snipers where if she had to like go into a store or something, she would have me like hide under like the, the seat of the chair of the car. Oh God. And, uh, or she remembers me thinking like asking what the address was. And because I asked like, can I have your cell phone? So if I hear a gunshot, I can know to call the police. And she says that that memory stuck with her because it reminded her of when she would hide under the car or hide under the car console when she was with people running in somewhere because of Son of Sam. Oh so God, I mean, really, was, it's like she was like, wow, I was like looking at a looking at a really sad, sad mirror. Yeah, <laughs> so. no, it is. It's like, ugh, I hate that it repeats itself like that. But yeah, so obviously it's very notorious, um, especially the thing about like the dog told me to do it. Obviously, that's become like a really big part of the story. Sure. Um, so the survivors were, of course, like wildly traumatized by what they've been through. And as Jody Valenti recounts, it took probably about six years of my life to be able to get in a car at night. It took a long time to be able to deal with the sounds of popping fireworks and stuff like that. But I faced my fears. Oof, and yeah, that is I the can't story imagine. of the son of Sam. Wow. Oh, but I do have a horoscope for you since he is a Gemini and I just had to I had to own it. Sure. Okay. Here's our horror scope for today for Son of Sam. Gemini, you are embracing new ideas now, but it looks like you might be the only one. Everyone around you is behaving with extra caution around you. Hmm. And what they fear might not be clear to you. And it doesn't have to be. You don't have to take on the burden of changing everyone's mind, but putting some effort in that direction will make you feel good. Pushing your agenda too hard will turn people off, but it will also show them that you're a person of substance and conviction. Make sure you're fighting for something that's worth fighting for. End of review. I mean, not review. That's for my other podcast. Oh. End of <laughs> horoscope. End of end of end of the show. End end I, of murder story. I am Santa. Goodbye now. Um, <laughs> yikes! Well, yikes. well done, well done. I've I've. Uh, that's one of the only ones that I know more or less the the whole story of so that was nice to finally get the whole picture so thank you how comforting for you comforting (laughs) yay well thank you do you want to do your shout out one more time for us oh yeah sorry i know i just like but i like i knew i wasn't gonna remember and then the next time we record is gonna be in weeks and i was like i'm never gonna mention it i was in uh, i got to read a like tell my story of uh when my grandfather had an astral projection experience and um it's a very cool story, in my opinion, anyway. And they put it in their holiday uh, special episode. And so I was very honored. And a couple of people tweeted like, is that you <laughs> in that episode? <laughs> so I'm just very honored to to be in that uh, in that episode. And Astonishing Legends is one of my my fave, my fave podcasts of all time. It's actually my ringtone, too. But don't tell them that. It sounds creepy. <laughs> um, all right. So that's that. Anyway, uh, so that's all I've got. Happy New Year. Happy New Year. Happy uh, 2021. We did it. Hopefully. Hopefully. We'll actually let you know in 2021 if we've made <laughs> We'll let it or not. you know. You'll find out. <laughs> uh, all right. And? That's? Why? We? Drink. <laughs> Walmart Plus 
Plus members save on meeting up with friends. Save on having them over for dinner with free delivery with no hidden fees or markups. That's groceries plus napkins plus that vegetable chopper to make things a bit easier. Plus, members save on gas to go meet them in their neck of the woods. Plus, when you're ready for the ultimate sign of friendship, start a show together with your included Paramount Plus subscription. Walmart Plus members save on this plus so much more. Start a 30-day free trial at walmartplus.com. Paramount Plus, a central plan only. Separate registration required. See Walmart Plus terms and conditions.